Hello, welcome to Podbean, playground for the Peach and Black podcast. There are over 48 experiences to choose from. Here's a sample. Welcome to the Peach and Black podcast. Your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. And other special guests. Vegas, baby. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We are here. Where are you? We're back, and we are about to review <laughs> the gold experience. So let's introduce the team player of the year, Toe Jam. Oh, I'm going to have to use the rod tonight. And Captain. There's some tired motherfuckers. <laughs> and I'm MC. In the place to be, it is the Peach and Black Podcast live from down under oh wow into year four of the show and we're here today to discuss and review and talk about and dissect an album from the mid 90s you could say the just gold. an album really this is should be a, a fairly interesting discussion and it'll be uh, interesting from my point of view to get everyone's opinion on this before we go into the song by song let's talk a little bit about what the gold experience meant and when it was released and what was going on in the prince world and in the music world at the time i'll take it to the floor any thoughts before we go into this seminal release oh, i think the first thing that comes to mind is just the delay of the thing Prince had been oh, playing yeah. the songs live for a good year, like all, pretty much throughout 94 and early 95. And, you know, it was never released until late September 95. You know, it was already almost two years after The Most Beautiful Girl in the World came out, which was sort of the lead single off it, I guess. You know, that's a massive delay. But, um, you know, it finally made it out there. Uh, I wasn't really in the in the Prince thing at the time, so I don't know whether... Did, did you guys have the album, at, like, before it came out or...? How would we possibly get the album before? <laughs> uh, as I said that, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but I didn't like this record much when it first came out. And that's, well, let me freeze, rephrase that. It, nothing on this CD surprised me when I got this CD because I had heard almost every track in the two years before its release from, you know, the various TV specials or TV appearances. So when the album came out, I only spun it like once or twice and moved on. And then it took me a while to realize certain songs went there, like, hang on, where's Days of Wild and all that. So hmm. yeah. but when you go back into it, you know, it's a real solid piece of art. But at the time, it was just like, it was really late. Nothing on there was, like, really surprising at all. Yeah, there's no days of wild. There's no acknowledge me. That's sad. So the most beautiful girl in the world, which is on this album, came out, I think, clo- somewhere between a year and a half and two years before the it Gold Experience out, was released. It was, it was, wasn't it February 94? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, was val- yeah. it came out for Valentine's Day. Yeah, so that's a long, long time. year and a half. That's crazy. Yeah. 
but but obviously a long time in the making. I mean, I I like the um the name of the album. It almost takes me back to you know the Jimi Hendrix experience or something like that. It's oh yeah, it's clearly yeah, referencing that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the the gold experience can mean many things to many many people, but I I think it's a very kind of conspicuous in a way album title because. Fine, it's you know it's out there, it's staring at you in the face. He's got the symbol on the front cover, and and everything's kind of in this shade of gold or yellow or, or whatever it is. But at the same time, you kind of don't know exactly what you're in for, or at least I didn't when I first picked this up and I first heard this. And I was like Toe Jam. I heard this a lot later, years after, probably four years around the ray around the rave era, I think. The whole gold sort of symbology. It's kind of this alchemy thing where you know he's gone through this this process of prince and now prince is dead and and it's sort of like you know i'm now this gold you know i'm whatever i whatever you want me to be kind of thing it's kind of like this rebirth that prince seems to have every two years Uh, (laughs) that's kind of like that's what i get out of the whole gold symbology of it i never really thought about you know the meaning of it at all it's just another (laughs) album to me it was it was a good album but i never thought you know like, why you know, is he had it called gold? Why is it the experience? I never thought about any of that. I just thought, you know, it's an album. It's called the Gold Experience, and there's 18 tracks. And he had like, you know, three chains of gold. The song, and there was that whole mm. sort of storyline that was sort of going. It was sort of connected to that, but not really. But interesting, the sort of you know the memes, I guess you could call them, that pop up in his work at that time. So yeah, so a lot of mystery around this album, and when it came out, it didn't really. I mean, it didn't make a massive splash, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it took a while to, to be released. Um, and also, too, Warners weren't, you know, backing him. You know, there was still, like, they still released the album, but the, there was still not a lot of love between the two of them, you know, between Warners and him. So, you know, they weren't really up for promoting it, and I think Prince had moved on when they did release it. Yeah, the whole know. situation's strange, because um, I could never figure it out. Like, Prince wanted to release something... Warner Brothers didn't, but then Warner Brothers did release it, and then Prince did promote it. I can never, I could never work it out what the whole story mm. was. Not just with this album, but that whole era. I'm glad it did get a release. You know, he could have quite easily shelved it and moved on to like the next thing. But it's, I'm glad it saw the light of day, even though it was late. Mm. Yeah. You know, I can imagine that in the Prince discography, we don't have a gold experience. You know, it's kind of unimaginable. So it would have gone down as a bit of a mythological kind of black album kind of thing. Album. No, this is yeah. the song he was pr- he was promoting all these songs and the album never came out. I think the whole Prince versus Warner Brothers, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. Probably. Well, I mean, I could talk for hours about that. So let's do that sometime. Yeah, we should. And and there's a lot of, you know, around this era, there's a lot of songs that are recorded because if we assume that this album was, or, or the, the majority of tracks were finished by early to mid-94, that's still yeah. a year and a half, well, let's say a year, just over a year before it's released. And, you know, there's, there's, there's other songs. There's stuff that would end up on Chaos and Disorder, stuff that would end up on, on Maite's album. There's stuff You've got that the whole Come album, 94, as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and all the leftovers appeared on Crystal Ball. Uh, yeah. Acknowledge me, yeah. Interactive. Interactive, yeah. Interactive. There's so much material from that from that era, isn't there? That 90, 92 to 90, yeah. late 95. There's just so much material. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. I mean, you even got the unreleased Madhouse stuff. You've got yeah. an incredible amount of stuff. <laughs> Panning for gold, it seems. And and yeah, and someone mentioned Days of Wild, which um, I'm sure we might discuss at a, at a later point in time. Well, that's but- kind of the... Sorry. That's kind of the only one that hasn't been... Like, it's been a live release, but that's kind of the only one that hasn't actually got the studio release. Like, Acknowledge Me finally got on there. A couple of the other tracks on Crystal Ball were supposedly from this era on that album, so... 
And uh, the other thing is that from a uh, or an album point of view, there's 18 tracks, but really only uh, 12 actual songs. The rest are segues or interludes. Yeah, that was very popular in the 90s, wasn't it? The segues. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, they used that a lot on hip hop albums, didn't they, Flair? Yeah, I heard that. I've heard somewhere before about these interludes that appear with the the computer voice or whatever is based on a Tribe Called Quest album's uh, Midnight Marauders, which um, there's a voice on there that's sort of in between all the songs, and apparently Prince used that as a basis for this album. But I don't know if that's actually true or not. But you can, when you hear that album and this album, you kind of kind of correlate the two together. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Well, I always took it, the segues, as being... um, You've seen the... um the, the beautiful, beautiful yeah, and yeah. they do the same thing. It's like that's right. Yeah. It's kind of sort of suggesting the internet future where you know you can dial up and get these experiences, and that's mm. that's kind of cool. He's kind of pointing to, in that direction, so, and this is still you know ninety four mostly when it would have been recorded. Yeah, yeah. so you, you can really see he's, he's looking to the future of that sort of internet revolution. And it, it was, was such a good time. <laughs> I was going to say, I remember watching the beautiful experience. It was on. I've still got the videotape I recorded Oops. it on. It was on channel. I think it was on 11.30 at night that's right and I stayed up I recorded it on two different video recorders just in case one died (laughs) and I sat there and watched it and blew my freaking head off it was just so good it was great because there was live (laughs) stuff it was was just so good well Um, I mean the other thing about that era Captain um, I mean your love of the band but also the band I mean you know it's the MPG trio and then the MPG trio becomes the new power generation with Tommy and Morris and all the other guys and it's just musically I think most fans would agree probably one of his most I mean they they really tore it up (laughs) those guys you can argue every incarnation of the NPG and the revolution and every other band he's had but you cannot deny this NPG like 90 what, 92 through to the start of 96, they were his funkiest band. <laughs> they were. Depends <laughs> on the kind of funk you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Whatever parade, funk parade, parade era revolution, that's some pretty funky stuff. <laughs> I think it's like, they've got their sound though, Have like regardless of which one's better, like this, mm. that, this band has a sound uh, and that's always important. Yeah, I mean, they're very, uh, rhythm section, Tightness probably contributes a lot to what we're talking about, I would imagine. Chuck because B and Michael B were just, they were born to play together. <laughs> like, no two other people on earth. Dr. Mumbo's combo. Like, listening to this <laughs> album, it's just like every song, I'm just, I just go straight to drums and bass and just listen to them. Yeah. jeez, <laughs> oh, they're good. Well, and the other, the other thing that, that we haven't mentioned is Purple Rain. And the reason I mentioned Purple Rain is when you consider... Prince's evolution and his musical creativity spawned, you know, so many other albums that came after that. I think it's safe to say that the Gold Experience, you know, literally a, a decade after Purple Rain, was probably the closest, in parts, to that massive sound that he achieved yeah. with that album. I'm not saying they're, they're completely similar, but yeah. it's it's oh, yeah, uh, it's got that big sort of live-ish sort of sound, mm. big drums. I mean, maybe to some degree, 1992 symbol album as well, which is when you look at the time period, 92 to 94, when this was recorded as well. But so, that, I mean, probably those two albums together. It's an interesting, um, in, it's an interesting time. 
and and we'll get to some of the songs, but some of the songs have been considered similar in structure and in sound to some of the Purple Rain stuff as well. So, again, another interesting thing to think about, but I think we better end it there and just really get into the songs and talk about the music. I will finish on two things, though. This was the album Before Emancipation, which all of us know about, but the reason I'm mentioning that is I think after this release, many things changed (laughs) certainly things um they went into another direction let's put it that way and um the disbanding of that mpg band i think had a lot to do with it as well february 1996 that was a a sad month in prince history (laughs) because it was the last time well they played together since then but it was the end of that era they ended on a high well they ended with this album and an album that is out of print at the moment very hard to get very hard to get. I mean, on CD you can find copies, you know, whatever. But I think there must be some sort of still some sort of contractual problem with this one because, like, it's very hard to get. You know, Prince has never released it on like the MPG Music Club when that was around and all this. So obviously, there's still. I think there's probably some confusion or uh, about who who actually has the rights to release this one. So, hmm. I don't know. That's just my guess. And not that reviews are necessarily important, but it's also interesting to note that this album, I think gave in 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 some circles certainly in, in from a music critic point of view he got some really great reviews i mean there's obviously one contained in the booklet of the album but aside from that there were plenty of of very favorable reviews from let me let me guess one of them said his best album since purple rain <laughs> or sign of the times or something times, like that yeah. but yeah. i mean you look at Places like All Music, LA Times, New York Times, Rolling Stone, Vibe, a lot of the, the music press in Minneapolis and and uh, in Europe as well. I mean, so it, it was really, um, which is interesting because it wasn't, the tour wasn't necessarily received that well in, in, in the UK specifically. But anyway, it's... Um, it's really an interesting release that that separates certain Prince fans from from each other and um, and bonds others together. So let's go into the actual release. Talk about the music contained on this official version. Now, what one last thing I have to mention? I actually have an album, or a version of this album, on CD that I got from a secondhand shop years ago that doesn't open with P Control. I might have mentioned this to you guys a while ago. Did yeah. I? Yeah. Yes, a little while ago. It actually opens with Endorphin Machine, and um, I'll save my review of that song for later, but uh, I haven't quite figured out which one I prefer, because um, any album opening with Endorphin Machine is going to have a special meaning for me, so uh, I just <laughs> thought I'd throw that in there, and uh, let's let's go into the official release, you know, the one we all have been listening to over the last couple of weeks. So uh, why don't we get this show on the road and go into track number one, which is... Pussy Control. Are you ready? Let's take it to P for player. Okay. I have a fondness for this song. I was I was at a club back in the 90s around this era and they played commercial chart and dance music and the dance floor was packed and then P Control comes on and <laughs> whilst I was uber excited and surprised that a Prince song was played, let me just say it cleared half the dance floor mid-song. <laughs> <laughs> There was this girl there that I met that night at the club, and she was coming on really strong to me, like, the whole night. <laughs> and it was great when this song came on, because I was familiar with the song and she wasn't. And I was like, girl, you need pussy control. <laughs> it worked really well. <laughs> it was great. 
<laughs> but getting to the song itself, um, I really like the instrumentation, the drone sounds of those opening sci-fi style keyboards. The beat is good. The rap has a decent flow. The message in the lyrics is valid. The production is nice and crisp. But what lets this song down by far is the piercing operatic singing in the chorus. I think that would have worked out better if that part was done with a female vocal. A little bit like Elisa Fiorello's hook on Love Machine. That sort of style. And I think that's what stops Prince's attempt at hip-hop being embraced by the hip-hop community because they get put off by that. Because he sings his own hooks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, That's funny, though, that bit. I like that because it's funny. It is funny, but it I don't know. It, for me, it's <laughs> ruined. It kind of kills it as a serious song. Yeah. Apparently, the title was changed from Pussy Control to P Control to avoid retailers banning the CD because it had the word pussy on the sleeve. But what yeah. always got to me is then why is the, the lyrics of all the other tracks on the album in the booklet except for this one? Yeah. And that's on the inside? Maybe that's why. Yeah. And having that missing, those lyrics of that song doesn't do it any favours because the message is positive and having the lyrics there would just enforce that. So I always yeah. found that strange. I don't know why it's not in there. I'd like to know that. I wonder if that's got to do with something about MC's version. Uh-huh. Maybe it was some censored pre-release or something. I don't know. Well, I know this this was one of the songs that was like a last sort of minute edition. It was one of the last ones made for the album, but I don't know. I mean, I think having it change from Pussy Control to P Control is one thing, but having the lyrics not in there at all, I think that might have something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know whether it was censored, but the version that I've got that starts with Endorphin Machine, all the other songs are on there, but when I was doing some research about the version, the versions of this album that exist, I did find a few CD versions from, I think, South Korea, potentially Japan, and a few other countries within that side of Asia, that didn't have P-Control and didn't have Now. Mm-hmm. And maybe they didn't have Billy Jack Bitch, I'm not sure, but so, so that seems like censorship was the most likely. And finally, I can't not mention the hilarious cover version of this that came out last year from Richard Cheese. If you're not aware of Richard Cheese, he's a novelty-type act that takes controversial songs and turns them into lounge-style songs in the vein of Frank Sinatra and the like. Last year, he released a concept album called Richard Cheese Live at the Royal Wedding, which was the fictional concept was Richard was performing at the wedding reception of Prince William and Kate (laughs) Hilton, and he performs P Control at the the reception. So it's definitely one to check out. With a tale that will soon be a classic About a woman you already know no prostitute she, but the mayor of your brain, pussy control. Ah, pussy control. Pussy, 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 pussy control. Okay. This is, a, this is an officially released album. It's uh, it's a digital release, so you can buy it as a download and download it, yes. I'm just wondering, you know, would Prince have had to authorise? I think there's a clause when it comes to satire. Digital you can get away release, with a lot uh, more. What about um, with Al Yankovic then? Yeah, he's been refused. No, he's, no, no so he says times. he um, that's his oh, own he, personal moral. That's yeah, his own yeah, yeah. Thing, where he says he won't do it. He says um, he, but he can could, do it, he could. but out of respect, he won't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on, on this opening track? It kind of works. It's 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 good. It it's just it's just strange. It's just like this big serious album opening with this kind of semi comedic kind of song. I like the hook, that weird synth line hook. It's kind of 
Mixolydian sharp four kind of sound interesting. Uh, and I like the little sort of like bass sample throughout. This little doo 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 sort of runs throughout it. The storyline, I don't don't really take too much notice of the lyrics, but it's an interesting story. I like the breakdown bit at three minutes ten, where it has that classic sort of hip hop sort of sound. That's kind of cool. When that comes in. And his vocals all the way through, like, there's heaps of grunts and he's really hamming on the dirty kind of sounds, <laughs> which is funny. So, yeah, it's an, it's a weird kind of opening. Like, um, it sort of works as the opening, but it, it, of all the albums, when you think about it, it's, just, it's probably one of the strangest opening tracks. Like, you know, a lot of the times you have a song that sort of represents the sound of the album. And not that this one's far removed, but it's just kind of odd. It just doesn't really fit, but it does. And, but it definitely sounds like it's, it's come along later. I like the way the sort of beats just this real standard beat and, you know, he tells the story over it. Uh, and then, like, the last sort of bar, I guess, of each phrase, the, the beat sort of stops and then he sort of delivers the punchline of that verse and then it just goes <laughs> on to the, either the chorus or the, the next bit. So yeah. that's kind of... It's, it's a joke with a punchline. Yeah, each, that's right. Each verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. I'll leave it there. Uh, Captain. Uh, this song, it's not a song I would play to many people, even though I like it. It's just not a song I want to play, you know, in public to anyone. <laughs> That's a good it, way of describing it. <laughs> because I, I like it, but even though the story, you know, might be pro-women, most people don't listen. All they're going to hear is the chorus. They'll hear the title and the chorus, and, that, and that's all they're going to hear. And yeah, but that's their, that's their problem, don't you think? That to them. So, but there's, look, there's a million other better songs I can play and say, look, here's a good Prince song. Oh, why would I play this, you know? And but even Prince said reaction. himself in the um, remix, don't be a victim of the 30-second bite. <clears throat> uh, I don't think I've played this song to anybody, but that's all right. There's lots of other better songs to play. I think it's one of those songs that if you can either like the song or put up with it, then you can consider yourself a Prince fan. It's one of those songs if you, <laughs> anyone else, if it's not in your heart, you're not going to like it. <laughs> I can tolerate it if I have to. <laughs> Paisley Park is in my heart. But, you know, musically, there's not much to it. It's just like Toe Jam said, there's just this generic beat and this one synth line through the whole song. In that, you know, musically, it's pretty weak. But lyrically, I think it's a good... I like the story and, you know, there's a bit of swearing, but it fits in the, the context of the story, so... But, you know, Prince isn't going to sing this tomorrow, so that's sad. I like this song. <laughs> I'd love him to open his next concert with this song. <laughs> just like he opened, like, you know, something last year with gold. Open with this. Oh, damn. It'd be great. <laughs> Don't even joke about opening with gold, Captain. That's all I'm going to say. On the next tour, I'll lose it. Okay, well, yeah, you know what? This is, it's strange. Like I said, I've got these two CD, two versions of this album. One that starts with Peak Control and one starts with Endorphin. And, you know, I think I would prefer the one that starts with Endorphin. You know, bigger rocking sound, but we'll get to that. Although, in reviewing this CD, here are my comments. Uh, I wonder what the Spanish intro is actually um, what that's all about. I tried to translate it, but unfortunately uh, didn't get there in time. So if anyone knows what the Spanish intro is, yeah. Isn't it just that Prince is dead thing? Is it? Okay. <laughs> no, I think... <laughs> I think that's one of the other segues, actually, because... Yeah, the, the, the I think stuff. Captain gets his Spanish from El Palo Loco. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rough sounding opening to this album and it just takes you it's got to be the strangest 
opening on a Prince album. I can't think of any stranger that exists. But then you've got these opens, these really open and spacey sounding synths. It's a strange song. Lots of metallic kind of sounding synth stabs. But I, what I do like is the melody. It's I think like it's a really hypnotic. And if you really give the song a chance, you'll find that you can't get it out of your head, or at least I didn't. And that funny high-pitched hook... I don't take the song and that, particularly the the hook and, and even the chorus, so seriously. Actually, does it even have a chorus? Well, you could argue that. Well, that's it's just ah. Yeah, <laughs> you could argue that's the chorus. But what chorus. I like about it, you know, he sort of deliberately sings it out of tune, like ah, that kind of thing. And you know, is yeah. it is he like screaming or is he singing? It's kind of in between. It's very strange, isn't it? <laughs> It's headphone listening, that's for sure. Um, it, but you know what? It does have a very uh, interesting story and a powerful message about female power and independence with some f- great one-liners, uh, I think, and a, more than a half-decent rap. I think this could be Prince's uh, best rap ever. I'll almost what? agree with that. It is. I really like, like, the, like players said, the flow of this rap is really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's up there with the best that he's done. No, but I mean, even and look, players the the um, hip hop head in the room, and and <laughs> you, you probably disagree with me here, but if you took the music aside and you got I don't know some well known hip hop producer just to play with Prince's vocal, and they put it behind a like a serious hip hop beat. I think the flow would stack up. What, what, what do you think, player? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is for a guy who came up in the era of disco and funk and new wave. I mean, you know, he's not a That's rapper. That's right. Like for, like for a, a rap attempt at doing a rap, like, you know, he's, he's done all right. I like that line... Um. Anyway, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't just go on, through it. I just thought about what I was about to say and stop myself. <laughs> just on Prince's rapping, I, I always find you know, no offense to Prince, but his his voice is just too whiny for rap. Mm. Like he's you know he's he's awesome at what he does, and he's, you know he's got the low notes. He's a great singer, but when it comes to rapping, his his voice is just a bit whiny. What do you mean whiny? I don't know his voice. I guess it's just because it's different. He has got a a, a different kind of voice. And so, mm. I don't know if it really translates well when he raps. It's probably because a lot of rappers have like a deep yeah. like deep voice when they rap, whereas Prince is a bit more high-pitched. So, he you know, it doesn't it. sound like in the in the realms of rap. He should try times. a deep voice rap. <laughs> Bob well, George rap. It <laughs> is, whatever, whatever your thoughts, it is a ballsy opening, that's for sure. Because, you know, so many opening in tracks. In a song that is not about balls at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the, but, but with this album that, that's been so long in the wings, waiting to open with a song like this, I mean, that really does does take a certain amount of confidence. And yeah, I mean, I, I haven't even said whether I like or dislike the song. That's because I'm, you know, when when it opens up, I'm like, oh, this song, you know, yeah. <laughs> but by the end of it, I'm thinking, you know what, this is pretty decent, and the message is good, and the flow's all right, and it's got this weird hook, and anyway. This is a, unlike any other opening on any Prince album, which we've all talked about, and I think I'll just leave it there, and let's go into track number two. Uh, let's skip the segues. So, into oh, track... I had so much written about the segues, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Welcome to the Dawn, which he's been saying for how many years? Ah. For this album. And mm. this, you know, it's it's said. And it's <laughs> exactly the same Sieg, I think, that appeared on the interactive CD-ROM, which I had... It was great at the time. I played Interactive to death, the, the game, and then at the end, you know, there was Endorphin Machine, live version. No cowbell. <laughs> it, was, it was great. 
And on that note, <laughs> why don't we go into track number two and talk about Endorphin Machine. Let's open it. Well, all right, Captain, I think you've just uh, put your foot through the door. Why don't you open this review up for us? This is going to take a while, this song. Oh, this whole album is going to take a while, but this song... Okay, as much as I love this song, I hate this version oh. on this album. It's just... But you've only heard one version? Reason. I've heard many versions. Interactive CD-ROM. Oh, that's yeah, right. Okay. Just said it, jeez. <laughs> um, the only main reason I don't like it is it's just overproduced. And I think this is probably the the first album like in the 90s where he started like trending that way to overproducing stuff but it's just overproduced like the version Not the live like the on the the interactive game was so good it was just like live band and then this you know cowbell but actually i thought about this i think it's actually a woodblock when you really listen to it, I don't think it's a cowbell. <laughs> Most drummers have got a cowbell and a woodblock. I think this is the woodblock. But anyway. There's just not enough woodblock in modern day music, is there? <laughs> I know, I know. This is a great, great song. In its original form, it just killed everything. The version on interactive CD-ROM was great. But I blame Warner Brothers 98% of this, because if they'd released it when he wanted to, he wouldn't have had all that extra time to play around with it and, you know, basically ruin this song. Ah. All this awful... Wow. But it's a, look, it's a great riff, great lyrics, great guitar, keyboards, great screams at the end. Totally blew my mind. He brought this back to concerts in 2011. That was just crazy. Oh, don't forget the Endorphin Machine was also the name of the stage on the 95 tour. It was this massive... You know, reproduction of the that female area of the body, which is a great thing to have on the back of a stage, I think. <laughs> but yeah, this song—it's—it's. It's I love this song more than anything, but just not this version. I rarely listen to this version, just because it's—it's it's just. I don't know. It's just too much. There's too much there. The basic like rock version of it is so good, and I just can't listen to this one anymore. It's a shame every time you want to hear that rock version, you've got to pull out your old Windows 95 and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've got to build up a 20-year-old computer. Yeah. <laughs> but Captain does it every day. <laughs> but this, is, oh, this is the one that finishes That's off with... endorphin machine. <laughs> 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 but this is the song that ends with Princess Tamuete. Okay. <laughs> you really, you really <laughs> like saying that. One of brothers, Mira del Toro. <laughs> but that's all I got to say. Uh, it's a great song, but this version is overproduced. Captain, I'm taking this off you. I disagree strongly. Oh, this you, is. You tell me honestly. This the is straight rock version of this is inferior to this version. Uh, what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Oh, get the gloves out. What I'm going to tell you is that the synths and the keyboard overdubs and everything else he's put on this, I actually like. Oh. I love it. I just think it gives it that... Because you know why? Because I can imagine the whole NPG of that era playing it. And Tommy Barbarella, he needs to play something. Morris, he needs to play something. And that's what they're doing. They're playing the keys and the synths. 
and it's just creating this massive, massive sound. And that's the reason why I love this song, because it's not just a good old rock song. It's not that. There's just this guitar feedback, there's heavy synths, there's the rocking riffing, there's, there's the keys. There's a wood block. There's a, there's a wood block or cowbell, if you really think it's a cowbell after Captain's Review. The vocals <laughs> are raw, and they're just... He's just... I think that Prince's vocals in Endorphin Machine are probably the most confident and cool vocals he's ever recorded. They're just dripping of cool. There's like... Mm. He's just in the moment, and it's pound for pound, pure expression. You can hear it. You can hear it. The spit at 3 minutes 11... But the drum, it's a drum and bass show, really. I don't care what anyone else says. This is, a, as much as Prince's vocals and his guitar playing in the synths, the overproduced synths or whatever you want to call it, the drums and the bass, oh yeah. man, they just steal the show. And then you go back to Prince and his screaming and his impassioned singing. It's really amazing listening. You put this on a pair of headphones or put it on a good two-channel system, stereo system, the riff and the chord progression, it just sounds... I don't know what kind of what what scale it's in. Maybe someone can hit me to the hit me to what I'm talking about here, but it sounds a little Arabic to me. I don't know why. I just get that feel. I love how the different instruments are just brought together to play the lead line and the background line and they double up on his vocals a couple times and I don't know what he's talking about. Are these machines for sale? Can I buy an endorphin machine? I don't know. <laughs> but this has to be one of my favorite Prince songs. I'm sure people that listening uh, that that have been listening to the show for a while would know that I was going to say that but this it just has so much grunt and power and raw energy unlike most of his studio recordings in comparison to this this just leaves everything for dead let's hear it on the live Australian tour if that ever happens I think I'll be in heaven if that happens you're going to lose it. I'm oh, going to lose I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to just blow the roof off the place. Oh, don't, don't. Let, let, let's just not, <laughs> let's not talk about it. Let's not go there. As long as he doesn't pack the wood block in his suitcase, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? A lot of people could say, well, guys, it's just a rock song. What are you getting so emotional oh. for? Why? You just because need to hear this. it's a good song. Turn up the amps. Ruined. <laughs> this is brilliant. This is pure brilliance. Endorphin Machine. What a title, what a song. Let's take it over to someone else. Toe Jam. Yeah, this has to be his probably his most rockin' song. <laughs> uh, it's The guitars are so present, the drums and the bass. I'm probably siding with... I can see Captain's Point, but I'm probably siding with MC. I, I don't mind all the bells and whistles. I think it adds a lot to it. The song, it's sort of pretty standard Mixolydian kind of sound, but it's in um, you know B major, but then he's got these A and E major chords, which on a guitar obviously mm. ring out really thick open chords, so he uses them a lot. Yeah. So that's why it's got that big sound as well. I love Sonny T's bass in this. It's, you know, he's got this little boom. I don't, can't remember how it goes off the top of my head, but it's, it's just sort of bubbling along. Like he could have just stayed on the on the route for this kind of song, but he sort of bubbles around the, the chords. It sounds really good what he's doing. And obviously Michael B. Yeah. yeah, so that's what Sonny T brings. He's not just another bass player. He brings so much more. A couple of other things. I guess you'd call it the bridge at 229, the hold-up section. There's one really cool bit in there where he's like, you there, and then you hear this classic Prince massive reverb snare, just smack. Yeah. I love that. Great production there. <laughs> like a whip crack. <laughs> you were going to crack then, that whip, Toe Jam. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Prince is great at that sound, that big reverb snare sound uh, when you're not expecting it. At 250, you've got the you know the bass goes away and it's like a little clap along breakdown bit, really classic rock sort of element. And then at I think it's 304 or something, you've got that massive scream, oh. and um, that has to be. Or no, there's two actually. There's a massive scream at 304, and then there's the last one right at the end. The last you know, the, one, yeah. yeah. Don't make me. And um, that has to be. <laughs> <laughs> probably I'm, I'll say it but I could be wrong it's probably got to be his best scream on record that last yeah. one that's unbelievable again he holds it for so long and then yeah. you know you think he's going to fall off it and then he goes up to, to, to finish it and it's yeah. like oh man that's unbelievable you know that, that shows his skill as a and, and, and that vocal part it all goes up and with with the rest of the music doesn't it it just kind yeah. of it sends chills down your spine really yeah that reminds me, I got an email a while back from one of our listeners, David Copper, and he wants to know, which we won't do it now, but we'll get to it. He wants to know what, you know, what is all our choices for Prince's best scream on record. <laughs> I think yeah, that's, that's it. That's David, yeah, we'll it. get to that, but this is this one's going to be up there. Yeah. It's, I, either, I, it's either this one or um, Beautiful Ones. It's beautiful be Ones, yep. I probably have to have another listen to the whole catalogue again. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this is up there. A couple of other things. Well, 214 with a guitar... The guitar just sort of soars, um, just sort of like the little guitar solo bit in the middle, which is good. Tommy Barbarella's little solo. I always thought it sounded a bit muddy. It's too low in the mix there. You know, he's like, Tommy Barbarella. And then he, it's just this like faint keyboard solo in the background. And he's got so much wah on it, you can't really distinguish what he's playing. And I felt that a lot with Tommy Barbarella when he was playing that electric wah piano. It's just a bit too muddy sometimes. I love, I love the sound that he got from it, though, like going through pedals and stuff. It sound, the sound was really good. It's just half the time you couldn't really hear it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's, 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 him on, that, that's him on peak control, isn't it? I mean, with those weird-ass sounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. talking about that electric yeah. piano. Ah, uh, okay. But, yeah, pretty rocking song. And I think Prince knows it, too, because he's brought it back last year. And also, he had that little mixer thing that he did in 2004 where you could play around with the mixing of this... Rock machine. Rock machine, yeah. That was when you heard Sonny's great bass line. The thing about that bass line is, like, Sonny, to my ears, which are untrained... <laughs> It sounds like after Michael B just hammers that that his drums in that section, Sonny is just just behind him. Like to me, it doesn't sound like they're in unison, and it's just that like he's just like yeah, you know, he pulls it right at the end, and it just sounds awesome. But yeah, that's pretty much all I got for that one. It's um, it's a classic Prince song. Okay, okay, three uh, three pretty good reviews. Let's take it to player close endorphin machine out. Oh, for sorry, sorry, sorry. It may be a wooden cowbell. A what? A <laughs> what? <laughs> well, so you we can see how... Everyone, everyone thought it was a cowbell, and then I said, no, nah, it's a woodblock. I was halfway right then. No, I'm <laughs> joking. I, I think it's a cowbell, but I'd have to listen again. So. <laughs> now, you have a look. It's a, I'm pretty sure it's a woodblock. If it is cowbell, who, who's playing it? That's what I want to know. Who do you think is playing the cowbell? Maite. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, player... Round this one out for us. What are your thoughts on Endorphin Machine? Okay, MC, you might want to turn off your headset for a bit because <laughs> I do have a confession to make. All right. I didn't like this song when it came out, and the reason Ooh. being was I couldn't stand the guitar riff. The... <laughs> Hang on, let me get to it. I thought the guitar riff was a ripoff of the Smoke on the Water riff. Which, again, to reference Beavis and Butthead, that's what they chanted in every episode of theirs. You know, the <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Like, to me, the, like, it sounded like when I first heard this song, I thought Prince is just watching Beavis and Butthead and thinking to himself, you know, I can, like, I can take, <laughs> like, take the sort of traditional rock riff and put my own spin on it sort of thing. 
So when I see these old episodes of Beavis and Butthead, I see them rocking out to Endorphin Machine instead of smoke <laughs> on the water. <laughs> so, yeah. And then you, you also have the addition of the infamous cowbell, and I think that also lets it down a bit. But I think the reason that that's on there is to distinguish itself from the previous release ver- versions of the song, like a new master, if you will, so that, you know, Warner Brothers has their own sort of version of the Endorphin Machine. So I yeah, think, he gave know, them he gave them the crap the, one. Yeah, with the... <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. But the good one for himself, and he goes, "Yeah, you Warners, you can have this crappy cowboy one." <laughs> you mean listeners, you can have it. <laughs> However, over the years, I've grown to love this song a lot. Um, the production on the track makes it sparkle. The searing vocal by Prince is amazing, and I'm making the call right here on this show. The scream at the very end of this track is the best scream ever recorded on a Prince album. It wow. sounds like his eyes are going to pop out of his head. When <laughs> <laughs> this is a very, all of a sudden very... the cowbell stops. <laughs> this is a very, very good track. Awesome, awesome stuff. I'm just thinking about Michael B's drumming, and he's and he's got these fills in places where you don't really not everyone would play them. When he's got the he's just ah, I love it. I was going to say that actually in one of the other songs, similar kind of thing. Like you know, there's always sort of hits in songs, but Michael B always like does something that sort of leads into the hits as well, which yeah. is always cool. He's a machine, that guy. As good as Prince is, Sonny and Michael made this album. If they weren't on it, I don't know what we'd be talking about. Well, it'd be very... If Prince wasn't on it, <laughs> it'd be very different as well. But luckily, all three of them are on it and the, and the oh. MPG. So let's go into track number three, which is... Player, why don't you lead us off? Okay, let me just first say that I really like the Tevin Campbell version. I think it's a great R&B track, but this version by Prince just takes it to a whole new level, and you can sit this alongside of Do Me Baby and Beautiful Ones and all those other big seduction ballads. And what it does for me is the contrast and dynamics in the song. You know, it's not just a ballad. It has two drum solos, amazing guitar work, and then in the quiet parts where it's broken down, you have these real melodic bass lines interwoven between Prince's passionate vocal delivery. Some great lyrics in there too. Rather do you like some homework <laughs> and uh, dripping all over you like a ball of wax. And the kitchen tabletop reference reminds me of the rap in Get Off. For me, the live version on the Beautiful Experience movie is the definitive version of this song. It just edges out the album version, which is a bit more contained and measured for my liking. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this recording was trying to capture the spirit of that live performance. Yeah, um, I'd say so. But it's a minor criticism on a great song. If you want to get your come on, this is the one to put it on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Captain, what do you think? Michael B. <laughs> Pretty much all I've got to say about this song. I don't know if he created this drum beat himself or if Prince said, you know, play this like this and and then he, Michael B, did it his own way. But without that drum fill, what is this song? It'd, it'd, it'd still be a decent ballad, but it just kills it. It just blows your head off every time. You can see why... I, I don't know how he somehow gave this to Tevin Campbell and didn't realise what a good song it was. But the thing is, I don't really love this song. The actual song itself, it's just a, an average ballad. But all oh, when I listen, average when I listen to it... Average when ballad? I, when I listen to it, I'm only listening to like Michael B. And the rest Kenny G, that's an average ballad. Yeah. <laughs> 
for me, it's the drums and the guitar solos that bring it above average. Imagine if this song had no Michael B and no guitar. Imagine it had no Prince. It'd be the Tevin Campbell. <laughs> It'd be the Tevin Campbell version. <laughs> I, I, I disagree. I think as much as the drum solos and the guitar solos are the highlight, I, I still think the song's strong enough on its own without them. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, decent. It's decent. But I'm not, everyone knows I'm not a big ballad fan anyway. But um, I have to say, from every song on the album, for for a while, this was most skippable. It's not now because I've heard a couple of live versions that he's put out there, and you know, it's it's a good song. I mean, Blackwell can do it pretty well. That's all. <laughs> all right, you raise an interesting point about the uh, live tracks. You know, you mentioned this track live. You know, it's awesome, and it's interesting to me. You know, sometimes you hear a live track and and it kind of. Um, informs your opinion of a studio song, which I think it has has done for me as well. But let's take it to Toe Jam to get his thoughts. Toe Jam, what do you think about track number three? Shh. I think it's a brilliant track. Definitely one of the highlights of the album, if if not the entire 90s. Uh, if not his whole discography, really. It's it's brilliant. Wow. Um, really? Wow. That's yeah. That's a big oh, call. Like, you know, it's top maybe 20 or 30. I don't know. It's, it's, it's There's a lot of songs there. First thing I've got on my list is Michael B is still the best. And what I mean is we've heard John Blackwell do this. We've heard Cora do this. But when you hear this version, like Michael B smashes those fills in that solo. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. And he's he's using everything. He's using the tom, like all. He must have like I just imagine in my head. He's got this <laughs> massive twenty tom rack or something. And wooden cowbell <laughs> <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> but I love the juxtaposition behind. You know, the title's called Shush, and what does it start with? This massive, loud, you know, drum solo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, you know, even after that solo, the vibe of the the verse and the you know, it's just really smooth and it builds really well uh, I really like the backing vocals is it is it um, Nonny Gay who's doing that or no no, no, no Gay yeah I think so yeah Marvin oh. Gay's daughter so yeah. there you Very go nice. that's why the background vocals are smooth right there uh, lots of suspense the organ as well listen to the organ the way it builds just slowly the volume starts to rise and the pitches start to get higher as it goes along really good um, arrangement there whoever did that couple of highlights the solo it's around three minutes or so he starts the guitar solo it's it's basically at that point the song's in g minor but that chord there is a c minor chord and he's playing a d so it's this real suspenseful note but then over the top of that you got this really high a which is another very suspenseful note listen to that like that those two notes at the beginning of that solo it's just really tense suspend suspended sort of moment really nice uh, another highlight I've got is um, the second solo where he starts singing along to the solo. Oh, yeah. You know, he's going... <laughs> <"Dun-dun-dun-dun." Something like laughs> that. That's unbelievable. And then he finishes it and suddenly T comes in with this massive low bass note to climax yeah. that section. So that's really cool. And the third highlight I've got is um, the bit at the end where the whole band and him, he's singing down, 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 down. The band goes down, 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 down. And then over the top of that, you get this classical line going up. Uh, and it's just, ah, oh, what brilliant arranging. Brilliant arranging right there. So those things, you know, despite the solos and the drums, like those kind of moments, I think, make it quite special. And it's also a song he's performed live pretty much nonstop now since 2004. And he's released a few versions of it too. Um, online, mm. um, but nothing beats this original original version. I think. Well, this version, not the Tevin Campbell version. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, brilliant song. Well, I have to say I agree with virtually everything everyone said. Um, I'll start with the bass. I mean, I think the bass. There are a couple of other songs on here when Sunny T really just again he kills it. But here, this is one of the prime examples. It's, he's yeah. so soulful. Yeah, like it's yeah, just so true. 
it, it's so... I can't describe it. <laughs> I actually can't describe it. It's just got this sound. It's so natural. It's so warm. It's so deep. And it fits right into the type of song this, that this is, which is this sensual ballad. And it's it's incredible to listen to, especially on headphones. You get the real... Um, it just pumps through the speakers, really. And, and it's different from a lot of early 90s, mid-90s, even early late 80s um, silent storm ballads. Because of that, because it's got those live drums that are so organic sounding, but so, again, Sonny T's bass playing, it just really underpins this song in such a beautiful way. And then there's this nice semi, what I would imagine, semi-acoustic, a guitar picking and a bit of vibrato in the background and and then sure Michael B holy cow batman it's like drum sex it's like it the is. drums are all having <laughs> sex with each other when Michael B plays them it's just interpolating all over the place that guy was born to sit behind a kit and it's unexplainable so I'm not going to try and put it into words but it's incredible and um and again the the mix between Michael B's playing and Sunny T here Sunny Sunny T to me seems a little bit not out of time he's not out of step but he's playing behind the beat which is beautiful it's just beautiful to listen to and then then you got Tommy B's Tommy Barbarella's large soundstage of keys coming in throughout the majority of the track it gives it a lot of space and width and he he's creating harmony you know lines of harmony behind everything else and in front of it as well and it's incredible it's a visually and lyrically a very sexual song which is interesting that he's been playing it very recently and i love this there's this one part in here that no one's mentioned yet where the background vocals and i since chills up my spine every time i listen to it it goes for about 10 seconds and the background vocals kind of they inv- i don't know if they invert like he just flips them out Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, he goes, da 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 or something. Yeah, and it goes, yeah, wow, that's cool. wow, wow. And I'm thinking, oh, it's just before the four-minute mark, if people want to get their CD copy out or their vinyl copy. just before. It's like all of a sudden the, the vocals go digital or something. And they yeah, yeah. They go, oh, oh, that's cool, that oh, bit. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. And there's so much to say about this song, but it's just brilliant. The song itself is great compositionally. It's arranged brilliantly to Toe Jam and Captain and Player's Points. This is a, I think it's a masterpiece Prince song. And the more he plays it live, the better, because they really bring it. It's great. And and it's seven minutes long or something. I mean, come on. Give me a break, you know? It doesn't feel that long. Like no. So, yeah, an incredible track. One other thing I was going to say, halfway through the song, he's got the, what's my name? And then she says, I love you, you know, kind of a reference to the, my name's not Prince anymore. But I love the way he's kind of flipped that in recent years where he's like, uses a bit of a crowd thing, what's my name? And then the whole crowd call out Prince. That's always a nice moment. Well, that's the thing. When when I thought, you know, how when he changed his name to the symbol and everyone was asking what his name was, like that was, I think, one of the name names that came out. I love you because... <laughs> I think so, because there was that reference in the Shush song, but also to, at the end of the Come album, which was supposed to be the last Prince album, the very last thing before it cuts off, right at the end, he says, I love you, and and it cuts off, and it was like the end of Prince, the start of the symbol era, and there was that rumor as well, I heard, so, you know, there was, you know how they called the symbol the love symbol, and I don't know, if it, it sort of flowed on from that, like it was like, I, I love you, or I don't know. That's what I made of it sometimes. <laughs> so, from Sh- 
shush. We go into track number four. Oh, wow, only track number four. And track number four is entitled We March. If we all want to change it, come on, get in line. player again to introduce this one when i first got this album this was one track that was quote unquote new as compared to the other tracks so initially i liked it but the shine worn has worn off over time a little bit i mean the track is nice and it has a good message and everything but there's something about this song that lacks a bit of oomph in it it has the um the marching samples in it but it needs to be a bit heavier for my liking a bit more military a bit more marching band drums mixed to the foreground, a la the coda section of Sign of the Times. A bit more bombastic to make it a more defining statement. Shaggy. <laughs> more <laughs> bombastic. <laughs> but you've got um, Ricky P in there, Kirky J in there, Nona Gay. Like I said, it's good, but this space should have been reserved for Days of Wild or another outtake from this era. And, um, yeah, we March should have been given the marching orders onto a B-side somewhere, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Interesting. Toe Jam? Uh, I sort of agree. It's This is probably the most skippable. Not that it's bad. It's got that Mixolydian sound again. So the first three out of the three out of the first four songs sort of have this similar kind of Mixolydian sound. It's got the siren and the screams and the baby cry, uh, which is... it's it's. I totally agree with what Player said. The first time you hear it, I really enjoyed it. And I like the sample, that vocal sample. Oh, uh, whatever it is. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I like this, the organs kind of staccato throughout it, these little tiny little stabs that you can hardly hear. They're good. But, yeah, I kind of agree. It's a bit kind of happy for the, the you know protest song it's trying to be. Yeah. But it's interesting because it kind of starts off and you think, oh, it's like a protest song. But then it, it sort of changes where it sort of goes into this, well, change comes from a within kind of mentality, which is interesting. Yeah, I, that's pretty much... <laughs> the bass is really crazy. There's some crazy little bass like samples and mucking around with bass sounds. They're cool. It sounds to me like it would have suited better on Emancipation. It sounds more like an Emancipation sound. Yeah, I agree. All right, Captain, what are your thoughts on We March? Uh, yeah, just like Tojam said, uh, I think most people would say this song is the most skippable on this album. But for me, it's it's up there with the previous track on its, its level of likability. Hmm. I like them both about the same. But I know most people would say if they could drop one track on this album, it would probably be We March. But, you know, it's, it's an album track. I wouldn't go so far to say it's filler, but it's, but it's, not, a, you know, it's not a big hit single either. It's, it's, it's very it's, much... Um, it's an album it's very, track. It's very much the morning after, isn't it? It's kind of a nice little song in between big songs that's not bad but not particularly yeah. memorable. So. Mm. You know, but maybe it was filler because even Prince, he's played pretty much every track on this album. And yet, yeah, this one he's played a, couple, a handful of times. And he's played pretty much most everything else on this album a fair bit. But I don't have much to say about it, really. All right. I guess that takes it into me. Um, yeah, We March. Now, not a lot to add, so this will be a very quick review. But um, really, it's, it's, look, it's a meaningful song about equality and I think particularly racism and similar prejudices. Uh, you know, the one for all and all for one. I think that's actually the segue that I was referring to earlier. Um, what I do like about the song is those bass pops low in the mix. Some chugging guitar, occasionally lots of voices. Sounds like a riot or a social group, you know, rally or outcry, uh, which it obviously is about. You know, and it gives you the sense of a march. or You know, it's audible that the, 
that the song is to do with with people marching down the street. But a lot of percussion elements thrown in, and a little bit too much. It's almost like they threw in everything in the kitchen sink. And I really wonder about how much of that is the Kirky J influence, considering that he's really the, the only presence of Kirky J on this album is on this song. And then we all know what happened on Emancipation. So. I think that's the thing that really... The, the beat isn't that great. I would have rather preferred a more organic-sounding, proper MPG just playing this out, you know, once or twice all the way through. But, you know, there's some nice melodies in there, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> the only thing I will say to close with my review of this song is that I think We March is probably the most similar to the song Sign of the Times in the 1990s. I can't think of any other track that took on so many social issues, particularly the issue of racism, in the same way that We March does. So for, from that point of view, I think it's it's certainly one of his most politically charged songs. It has been used on film, uh, movie soundtracks, uh, and on other compilation albums. And I think that where this song succeeds is its message, and what it says, where it where it fails, is it's a little bit of a mix mash approach. And if there was one song that I could take off this record, that would be it. Uh, yeah, but this song it reminds me of Free. It's probably just the actual marching, <laughs> but it reminds me of the, that song. All right. So we march goes into the single, the big single that was released about a year and a half before this album even saw the shelves of the record stores. Track number five. The most beautiful girl in the world. Could you be, could you be? Take it away, Captain. Okay, I'll say it again. Overproduction. But I can possibly overlook that because the reason could have been that he had to make it obviously different to the original MPG Records release. Yep. So that, 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 is, that right? is that right? Yep, that's right. Anyway, the song itself I really like. It's a great, great song. Obviously, you know, it was, was it number one in Australia or number two? I can't remember. Uh, one. But it did very well. Number one all around the world, I think. It did number one in a fair few countries. I suppose it's a ballad, but it's still very poppy at the same time, so of course I like it. Amazing vocal performance. The high notes near the end of this song are just... And the, the low, even some of the low notes as well. It's just crazy. And you've got all the, the lush backing vocals. Even The funny thing is, even though this technically is a song by the symbol, it's a classic Prince song. Which is just, it's funny. I don't like the outro of this album version. I like the fade on the original version, but this outro is, it's well done. I just don't really like it. I don't mind the video. It looked cabaret. He looks like, I've got to say, yeah, someone gets that joke. He looked like Liza Minnelli, right? <laughs> I don't know the one who thinks that. Yeah. The haircut, yeah. He's looking know, a bit in, girly in, in a song about the most beautiful girl. So. You know. <laughs> I mean, apart from the Raspberry Beret video, which is a pretty similar sort of haircut, it was, oh, it was, it was a bit funny. Liza in her younger years. Yeah. Yeah, it was number one in a bunch of places. But I think this song was what really started him. Actually, it wasn't the start, but it was near the start where he thought, I can release a ballad and it'll do really well. It, it like started the bad precedent of I'm going to release singles, ballads. You know, he released his track. He got a number one. So then he got it in his head that he could, you know, I, I can make a hit. Not a problem. I don't need a record company. And I can make a hit with a ballad. 
So both these things have been proven wrong time and time again since this this lucky one-off. Anyway, something else I learned. Do you know why there are like a million versions of this track? Because Warner Brothers would only allow him to release one song away from Warner Brothers. So that's why he made so many different versions of the same song. <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious that's just classic prince you know that's playing with the rules yeah. really fun it's like okay i can only do one song okay i'll do about 18 different versions of it <laughs> i.e the most beautiful girl in the world maxi single right yeah mustang. Well, seven there there's mustang mix there's mustang 96 but those versions are really <laughs> nice a lot of them you know of, yeah. the mustang mix is great and then the most beautiful boy in the world Let's, yeah. like, let's really stretch it out. Yeah. And there was the Spanish version as well. That's right, yeah. There's so many, and I just think that's hilarious. That's all i got to say. I should say, the Beautiful Experience LP or vinyl, or EP, whatever you want to actually, yeah, EP, CD or vinyl, that's that's quite a, I mean, really stretching out the limits of one song, you see how he builds it up, and then you can, by the time you get to the single, you really appreciate this song a lot more, I think, but you know, I'm probably done. Digressing we'll, we'll, a little bit. We'll get to that. I want to do that. I want to do that EP one day. Right. Won't be long, but I want to do it. So, player, the most beautiful bo- uh, uh, girl in the world. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, let's face it. This is only on here because it was a big hit, and Warner's used it as a bargaining chip for it to be to get Golden Experience released. Yeah. But of course, it had to be remastered to make it sound different to the previous release, non Warner Brothers versions. Did you say remastered? Well, in the sense that, you know, to make it sound different. Hmm. Like, he takes the master copies and, like, changes it around so that it's, you know, it sounds different from the other release versions. Yeah. And what Prince has done here is he's taken the song, extended it a bit, and grabbed a big tub of sugar and tipped it all over (laughs) the song (laughs) by making it real vampy. He's added lots of additional harps. He's accentuated those sound effects and there's other deliberate musicalities to make the song different, like in the second verse where the drums, there's a part where it sounds like a machine gun. You know, there's, you know, it's, it really takes it over the top. The genesis of the song is great. I'll give it that. But I've, I've said this on previous occasions. It's overdone for me, and I've heard it one too many times in too many arrangements. Okay. But it is okay. good. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad song. Obviously, it's, it is a good song because it went number one in so many countries but you know it came out in 94 and then by 95 i was i was done with this uh, over it yeah. it did get played to death i did yeah so but even knowing the reasons that he changed it on this album mm. do you think this album version is overproduced uh it it, it is very sugary it is because he is. could have just changed a couple of minor things yeah, to make it different from the original and it wouldn't have sounded like you know this yeah so, I mean, the big end with the, you know, you don't need that. But anyway. that's, that sort of ending is a good way to sum it up in, like, the live setting. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you, yeah, when you're doing, like, a live version and, and on the record it fades out, it's a bit hard to finish up a song. But that way, he, if he wanted to do this live, that's a good way of, of finishing it up. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Maybe maybe this that ending came from the live versions. Um, maybe. Maybe that's where he got it from. I don't know. All right, all right. Play it if you're... Uh, well, yeah, I'm done on this one. You're done on this one. I've got a few things to say and we'll take it over to Toe Jam. I mean, this is really, to me, a showcase for Prince doing the stylistics, Delphonics, and the many other, hundreds of other 
vocal R&B groups uh, back from the 50s and 60s and early 70s, but it's a showcase for his dynamic range and his falsetto and his vocal mark. And the way he lays it all down is just incredible. I mean, in the bass notes for, on his vocals that he hits at mm. about 3.14, 3.15 onwards are just sick. I mean... The guy's incredible. He just uses his voice as another instrument, as a, as a tool in the studio. You really get... You really, yeah, that, as Claire Fisher would say. As Claire, exactly, as Claire Fisher would say. And the notes from 3.30 onwards, and especially at 3.42, are just wild. I mean, I don't I don't know that I can even talk about them. I mean, it's in, it really is incredible, but at the same time, they're so high-pitched. <laughs> he just... He takes it to the nth degree. I mean... The player said it was extreme. It's beyond that. It is just a squeal right at the, the end highest, of the song. The highest note right on the... I don't know if it's on this album version, but on the fade-out of the original, it's like, you know, 4.30, mm. whatever it is. He gets... I mean, this song's in F-sharp. He gets up to a B, which is... <laughs> it's, it's bloody high. Yeah, it's, and... It's um, amazing. And, and that's just the vocal, but, you know, this is a great song. It was a good hit, a great single for him. And the lyrics are, you know, they're cherry pop, sugar-coated, and, but it takes you back to that era, you know, out of all, this entire album. Everything here is very kind of modern and very Prince-like. This is very much the sounds of the 60s and 60s it's soul. It's a throwback. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a throwback jam, and it's a great song. Toe Jam. I haven't got much more to add. I think most things have been said. I think for me, the the hook of the song is just the lyric of the chorus. Could you be the most beautiful girl in the world? Like, that's just a hit, that lyric just right yeah. there. Like The melody, yeah. Yeah, and it's almost, for me, it's almost a little bit too simple, the, the melody and the chords. So it is very sugary in that sense. But it's it's very pure as well. Like, I think pretty well-intentioned. I can't help but wonder if it's kind of the title that he's had in his head for a while. And it's like he was going to wait for the right moment. And what's, what's the right moment when, you know, he releases something outside of Warner Brothers? Well, I've got this killer chorus that is going to be number one regardless <laughs> of, of who's yeah. singing it or who's playing it or whatever. So, but I think you guys have said most things about the music and the arrangement. It is, I kind of skip it on this album because for me, I, I find it hard to associate this song as part of this album because yeah. Um, yeah. it was such a big song before the album came out. And even for me, who didn't get the album until later... Like, this song was already... I already knew this song as a Prince song, so I, I normally kind of skip it in the context of the album. So I'm, I'm perhaps not as familiar with all the differences from the EP version. But yeah, so there we go. I don't have much more to say. It's, it's a very good ballad. One thing I, just, I don't think I mentioned already was I really like the guitar in this song. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Just yeah. the little bits all over the place. They just sound nice. Like, in the, in the chorus, yeah, yeah, it's just good. Something else about um, the charts, this was actually Prince's first UK number one. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It took him all those years, like all through Purple Rain, Sign of the Times, Diamonds and Pearls even. Like, this was his first UK number one, so that's pretty amazing. Mm. See, and he got it in his head then. I can do it without Warner Brothers. I can do it with a ballad. Uh, that was the start of the... Near the start of the that, that thinking, you know. When, when this song came out, I bought the CD single and... It didn't have Prince anywhere on it. On the front, there was just a picture of like all the flowers and the most beautiful girl in the world. And on the back, it just had a picture of his ass. Which, which is great. Which is great. But, um, you know, a Actually, few people I've got, it, I've got it here right like, in front of me. And it says yeah. on the front cover, like sort of a hidden message, it's beauty inside. And then you open it up and you see that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's, 
It's, again, it's just classic Prince sense of humor. It's just great. Actually, I think I remember something with that cover as well. There's all the like cut out pictures of girls and stuff. I think from memory, it was like a competition. Yeah. Yep. He put an ad sent- in newspapers looking for the most beautiful girl yeah. in the world. And he got sent. I mean, what a genius idea just to get pictures of women. <laughs> <laughs> what a genius idea. It was amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's Prince for you. It's just, that was great. And then he picked however many and put all the pictures on the cover. And then, you know, a few of them were in the video, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Along with Marva Collins. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah. it's interesting because there's a whole lot of, um, there was also some school principal that did something. Yeah, yeah. that's Marva Collins, yeah. That's oh, right. Okay, yeah. And he donated like, you know, however, however like a million dollars or something to her. To something school. preparatory school. I remember that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm like Toe Jam with this song, like... You know, I usually skip it. It's too sugary. If I sit through and listen to it, I'm in a diabetic coma by the end of it. It's just too (laughs) sugary. (laughs) But we talked about this exact same thing with another song a while ago that he, I think I said it, and I think ToeJam agreed, he just walks the line, like the border of being sincere and not going too far and being totally sappy. Mm. It's, It's just like right on that line. And some people think it's over, some people think it's not. You know, like I told you I said before, it's coming from a, you know, a, a sincere place. Anyway, that's that song. Uh, that was track number five, and let's go into song number six. You're confusing me with these numbers. Which is titled... I'm going to buy the CD, which has 18 tracks. Which is titled <laughs> Dolphin. Dolphin is track eight on the disc, for most people. And song number six on the Peach and Black podcast, <laughs> Dolphin. <laughs> Player, I really like this song. This to me sounds like the dream song. The underwater guitar pedal effect is used wisely considering the subject material of the song. The lyrics are nice. The subject matter regarding reincarnation is tastefully done and at the time it was sort of regarded as another piece of the puzzle between killing off the prince persona and rebirth of the symbol for me the definitive version is the letterman version and i always get thrown listening to the album version when he he gets to the um why does my brother have to go hungry line when that comes in i always forget that line's in there because i'm just sort of used to the um letterman version where he actually cuts that part out and i like the coda section that features on The Undertaker with Michael B and Sonny T going into that freeform yeah. jazz trip, like the intro and outro and Lotus Flower. I would have liked yeah. to have had that featured on the album. But other than that, it's a favorite of mine. Really nice song. Okay. Toe Jam. Uh, it's, it's very thick, this song, isn't it? There's so much happening. Very long chord progressions and just so many instruments happening at once. It's, all, it's almost this recording a little bit too much at times. Um, Overproduced, I, would you say? Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm just uh, but, sucking that word in everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with the atmosphere that it creates with all the sort of watery effects and the tremolo effect on the guitar. And uh, and even the chord progression, it's sort of this sort of up and down chord progression, almost like wave-like, you know, it's sort of this chord. It's got a pretty standard descending chord progression. Uh, then it's got this crazy chorus progression and then this weird chromatic guitar synth line. It's got a cool bridge, like all the toms, uh, Michael B's toms going off again. And um, there's a nice little classical bit at 240 as well. It's where he has that um, 
It happened before. It happened something, before. something. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. That bit, Half and that's cool. followed by a big, big. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, big guitar solo with keys, which is kind of similar to what he did on the Holy River. That sort of big climactic guitar solo. One little bit. I only just discovered this bit listening to it this week at three twenty-five. There's this in the background. I think it's in the right speaker. There's this tiny, crazy like keyboard sound that's just going really fast, like a little classical bit. That's really cool. Check that out. Three twenty-five. And I like the video of this. It's just one shot, the camera, one shot the whole way through, and it just kind of zooms in on people. You know, zooms in playing on prints. invisible it... instruments. No, I think they're playing real instruments. Morris um, Hayes playing the keyboard on a bed. Oh, is There's he? no keyboard there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It zooms in on Michael B and zooms out. It's kind of a cool little concept. for It sort of has that homemade kind of feel to it. But yeah, I th- if anything, I think this song is probably slightly overrated by the fans. Uh, it is a very good song, but I just always find it's it's almost too much. It's like rich chocolate cake. Sometimes it's just too much. Um, but it is a very interesting and unique song in his canon. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay. Um, Captain. Dolphin, another great track. I don't understand why he didn't play this more live. Maybe it just didn't work that well, but as players said, the Letterman version was pretty good. But it's just a great straight rock song with a couple of weird little, you know, princely things in there to make it his song. And again, I really like the video. From what I remember, they don't have... I mean, Prince has got his the symbol gold guitar, but I think the others are all just like miming invisible instruments from my... This was just from my memory, though. But I'm I sure ab- Michael B's I got his drums. I absolutely remember so. Morris playing the keyboard on a bed when there was no keyboard there. I'm 100% sure of that. I just remember that in my brain. Must be just a video. But uh, actually, it's one of those songs. Maybe if it had like a really highly produced video, it maybe would have given the song more justice. I think because it's such a big, epic, thick song, and it's got this kind mm. of cheap. You know, I said before it was good, but now thinking about it, maybe it was a bit of a you know a bit of a lost opportunity. Uh, it was like a, a demo video. So let's just record this and chuck it out there. But yeah, same as Toe Jam. I like the change before the, the guitar solo. It's 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 just nice. And then the great guitar solo, of course. Uh, you probably know this was the first music video aired on VH1 Europe. I just remember him there. There's, there's pictures around. He was dressed all in white and he was pushing this like giant remote control, which was like you know bigger than he was. Wouldn't be hard, but uh, <laughs> see, now we play it. Got it. Jeez. Uh. <laughs> but oh, great, great bass. Love Sunny on the bass. It's just a great bass line. Again, Sonny T and Michael B, they were born to play together. And this song's just another example of it. Yeah, that's it. Play it live. Play it live in Australia. Endorphin Machine, just actually just play Gold Experience Tour. Oh, wow. <laughs> Come to Australia. Play Endorphin Machine. Play Dolphin. We'll think of the others. Yeah, that would be incredible. You're right about that, Captain. Um, I'll finish off this review. I love this song. Um, a couple of people might have said that it gets a little bit too much praise Everything from the theme of reincarnation to the title to the dolphin sounds at the end, the reverb and the echo all throughout is really beautiful opening lines. Specifically, uh, how beautiful do the words have to be before they conquer every heart, or something like that? The whole the whole theme is really well thought out. And, it is and yeah. realized from the sound effects to you know everything. It's and is this like the first thing he's done about reincarnation? I th- I on remember. record, yeah. I think. Well, that's There's a obvious. few references that's, in Emancipation. Yeah, that's, yeah it, it may be. It may be. It's like it, a one-off thing. Like, oh, let's just have a look at this thing. Yeah, and it's an interesting comment you make, Captain, because it's not in my notes and it's not what I was going to talk about, but you just prompted me to think of something and it 
I agree with you. It just everything about the song is so it works. Everything works so well together, and I think yeah, you're right. It's very well thought out. You know, from the lyrics where he's saying, "If you're underwater, would you find me?" and then you got you know all that guitar effects sounds like it's underwater. All that stuff. Yeah, and 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 that part that that you're talking about, I think it's at two twenty six, two twenty seven. That actually sounds like it's underwater. I think a lot of it has got to do with the fact that of the way that they recorded the drums and that m- the way that Michael B is hitting the toms as well, um, and it makes it this boom boom. It gives us that really <laughs> kind of deep sound, like uh, what, what's it called, the mermaid or something like that. Um, <laughs> it almost sounds like that in a way. It's kind of childish and, and playful in some sections. You know, it was released as a single, didn't enter the charts. There was really no commercial release available of the song, and I think it's really a shame. You know, the video was a bit lo-fi, let's put it that way. Um, But there's so much happening here. I really thought Toe Jam in particular was going to jump on this song. It's really 50-50 for me. I can listen to it sometimes and I really love it. And I just when I listened to it before, I just oh, it's this isn't this isn't much. this isn't the dream song that, that you always talk about. Yeah, I'll, no, it is of this album. It is, but I just, just I don't know when I listened to it before. I just oh, it's just a bit too much happening all at once. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I can I can understand what you guys are saying about you know sensory overload and a lot of sounds because I agree there is a lot happening in here and that's why I love it because so many of Prince's songs are so basic and stripped back, especially a lot of his funk stuff and even some of his rock rock songs, but this is just bells and whistles galore. The other thing that I love about it is it's got the perfect blend of acoustic and electric mix, because if you really hear this and take the time to listen to this, there's so much acoustic guitar in this song, it is not funny. It's all underneath the, the rhythm tracks, and, and form, forms part of the rhythm tracks in the song. Again, lots of spacey, spacey synths and synth work, all manner of keyboard sounds on this, presets galore. A lot of well, not a lot, but there's some double harmony that he's that they're using, and some counter melodies here and there, and that classical bit of piano or keyboard that Tojem was talking about, and there's all these little diddle 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 all these descending things, and vocals all over the place, bass lines by Sunny T are cool, and the drums are so filling, and they're fat with a pht, lots of key stabs. You know, by the end of it, I'm kind of I'm drenched. I'm drenched in in the sea of uh, <laughs> tranquility, of do- tranquility <laughs> of dolphin water. Um, it, it it just really, yeah. He does lay it on thick with this song, and I think it, it it's almost like that midway point of this album, where the, things take a turn in a very different way after these songs about social and sexual and human equality and injustice and love and all this kind of stuff and then dolphin and then slide two for the party party tracks but um it's one of my favorite songs off the album and i would love to hear a live version one day but it's a very special song by this guy by this so-called pop artist so okay from dolphin we go to you have just accessed the peach and black experience this experience is great for listening and improving self-esteem other titles in this category include Whammy Bar, Bucket Fiascos, and Police Scanners. But that was then. This is Alright, and uh, starting off with now, let's take Captain to open this one up for us. Okay. Rap! I know <laughs> every word of this, and out of all his attempts at rap, I... I'll probably like this more than most of them. It's just, I, I like it. Uh, musically, there's not that much happening at all, except little guitar noodling here and there. And But it's all about the rap, 
and the, the, the backing vocals in the chorus, you know, it's Prince. There's always some funny lyrics that always helps. And what, what's, with, what's with all the dope references, though? He's hardly ever yeah, really mentioned know. it at all. And then, you know, is he trying to be cool? I think is it's he- just a big metaphor where, it, like, you know, light us up and take a hit. It's kind of like the metaphor of, you know, the hit is the musical experience kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Interesting. Yeah. And I always thought it was a bit strange to, that he included stuff like that in a song when he'd never really mentioned it before. But I just thought, you know, he's trying to be cool. He's doing rap, so straight away there, he's trying to be cool and fit in. So why not include, you know, Pot as well? (laughs) I just love this song. He gets more and more crazy throughout this song, and then the last chorus, he's just screaming his head off. Like, a total mental case. It's It's hilarious to listen to, isn't it? It's a guy just losing it. (laughs) And, like, it it distorts. It just, oh, it's so good. He He just lost it. And I love it. I like this song. It's great. Okay, player. Again, I'm going to have to call the Beautiful Experience TV version as the definitive version. Uh, this one's a bit too slow and countryfied guitar-wise for my liking. <laughs> yeah, that part. <laughs> it is good, but it sounds like Prince has loaded up 88 keys of a sampler with riffs, vocals, and he's just <laughs> them off different sections and having a ball with it. Some really great arrangement work in this one, and some funky horn lines. The, the downside, though, are the various random noises and screams and dog barks and panting and yelps and yeah. all that sort of stuff that's sprinkled throughout. It gets a bit grating <laughs> for my ears. But, yeah, it's a funky little song. However, I think the live version on that TV movie was uh, a lot funkier. Okay, okay. And Toe Jam, now. Uh, you want me now? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, now. Let's go into it. Uh, <laughs> this song's crazy. And, uh, Uh-oh. It's it's pretty good. Um, it is. <laughs> it's a bit overproduced. Uh, I will agree with player. There's a. There's again. It's like dolphin. There's just a little bit too much happening at times. But there's lots of things I like about it too. My favorite thing in the song is just that baritone sax, and I think it's in the left speaker. And it's just the beat just before every sort of phrase. You just hit this burp, and uh, it's yeah. cool. Classic use of baritone sax, and it just runs all the way through the song. It sort of reminds me of. Um, you know the George Clinton song, Everything is on the One? Not yeah. so much the song, but the concept of that, where it's like, you know, the now is on the now. That's the one kind of thing. Mm. It's sort of, that's the vibe I get. What I like about it is every, I think there's three verses, three main verses, and every time it comes in, the background music is, or the background beat or, you know, playing is completely different uh, each time. That's cool. And there's one that's just completely whack, where it's just like this, la, 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 la. It's just... Mm. While he's singing a ver- while he's rapping a verse over it, it's just <laughs> what the hell is that out of nowhere? Which is cool. I was smoking um, the good stuff that day. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like that. It's a bit, you know, what was he smoking? <laughs> the horns kind of sound a bit sampled, <laughs> but it's all right. My favorite bit of the song is just it's at one thirty-five, and it, it happens a few times where he does the the scene about this, the scene about that, and it kind of builds, and you know the the chants yeah. are happening as he you know he's saying a word, and they say a word as well, and. It kind of builds and builds, and then it's like, now! And they just go crazy. But I think the thing that kind of kills it for me a bit is that the stupid chant, 3-4, 3-4, 4 whatever it is, that just sounds a bit, it kind of dates that a bit. And I agree with um, Player, when you hear that in the TV version without that bit, and you just hear the, the silky now vocals, it sounds so much better without that silly chant over the top of it. But it's pretty crazy kind of track, and I guess it kind of works well, sort of central in the, sort of in the center of the album here, I guess sort of leading towards these last few big tracks coming up. So that's that's my review of Now. Okay, all right. Now supposedly improves self-esteem. <laughs> and I can vouch for that. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the song, but 
it's got a lot of interesting elements, and like Tojem said, it is crazy and all over the place. Uh, there's this weird modulated loudspeaker chant of freaks on the floor. I think that's what they're saying, freaks on the floor. Yeah, that's like it, that. of course. Yeah. And that's okay, along with the chants in other parts of the song. They create that kind of house party party vibe from the mid-90s. The bass line is really cool, though. I, I like it. It's it's not Obviously, it's not reggae, but it's... Yeah, I don't know what you'd call it. It's just kind of like a house house party track. Um, Minneapolis-style reggae, let me put it that way. Ragga. <laughs> yeah. The systematic and gradual increase of the horn lines at 259 are funky. I do like that. And But the biggest thing that, that really I listen to this song for is Prince's aggression, if you want to call it mm. that. And his, the raw vocals, his voice breaks, he's screaming. There's just an overall and general loss of control and inhibition on his end, which is absolutely hilarious to listen to, especially towards the end. He just... I mean, just just picture him delivering that vocal in the booth <laughs> <laughs> and his face while he sings that. I would be pissing myself on the floor. I'd, I would The legs have gone. I'd be on the floor um, just laughing my head off at that, and uh, which is great. And it's a hodgepodge of sounds. It kind of reminds me in many, many ways in its production value to Beck's first album. If everyone remembers the single that came around around the same time, you know, Loser. Yeah, yep. I can definitely hear that. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities production-wise and even musically. Odelay, was that it? Yeah, uh, no, it was actually... Hello Gold, mm, maybe? Gold, yeah. Yeah, I think uh. so. <laughs> gold experience. <laughs> exactly. Uh. There you go. But it's raw. It's a very... It's it's a, it's like a mixed bag of lollies, you know? You never know what you're going to get when you listen to this song. If you're in a good mood, you kind of go with it. If you're not feeling the, the, the beat, hip-hop-esque vibe then you maybe you don't but it's just a collage of sounds and it's more so a collage of sounds i think than a than a, than a song per se but yeah overall just just it's a pretty cool summer jam by the mpg and um it's on the album and, and it and it suits the tone well especially with what's coming up next but let me just say that without now we march and arguably p control cutting this down from 12 to 9 tracks you potentially would have, in my opinion, the best Prince album that he's ever done. And if I want to, if I want to be a little bit less, you know, out there, uh, I might include Sign of the Times and Purple Rain in in those in in the trilogy. But you know, you look at Endorphin Machine, Shush, The Most Beautiful Girl, Dolphin, Three Nineteen, and everything that's about to come up. I think I might have a case 19? there. So. Sorry, Three Nineteen? Seriously? Yeah, we're going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I got one more thing to say about yes. this song. What Player said before, how he and, and the other song before, we you prefer the live version. Wasn't that basically the reason that Days of Wild wasn't put on, on here, or you know it was left off? It's wasn't the story he, that he wasn't happy? He didn't with think the, the studio just, version yeah. lived up to the the live version, so he just didn't put it on. Mm. Which is interesting to base you know putting a song on an album based on well the live version's better, I but think it's an album that- version. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> the problem with this one for me is it had the fury effect where I heard the live version first, yeah. and uh, then the studio release. I heard it sort of that in that order. So I kind of like Fury on Saturday Night Live. I, I sort of prefer that version over the. If I heard this first, I probably like this, you know, just as the same equally. It, but it just had that where the order that I listened it into it has affected the way I sort of view it. Yeah. And appreciate it, yeah. Actually, now, now that I think of it, I've got to add, towards the end, there's that really cool horn part again, where it goes something like... 
Yeah, that's that's cool. See, there's that kind of stuff that's in there, and, and you just kind of think, yeah, this See, this, this be, is decent track. That'd be a sample, but is it a sample of MPG horns, or is it actually just him on a keyboard? Oh, it sounds like horns to me. Yeah, it does. You'd never know. Sounds like the horn heads. Yeah. So, that was then, this is now, and now we're about to go into 3.19. Any fans in the house of this? Yeah. Okay, player, take it off Take it off my hands. Yeah, I like this song. This is another one I had heard in advance by sitting through Showgirls just to hear it. I'm sure um, that's the only reason you were watching that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dane talked to me about the guy sitting like three or four um, seats down from me with a jacket over his lap. <laughs> anyway. Wow. Oh, this is a really good print song, this one. <laughs> <laughs> he really liked this song. 319 is really well mixed. The production is really popping and snappy. The drums have a really big sound to it, and whenever I hear this song production-wise, it reminds me of Robert Palmer, for some reason. Oh, he beat me to it. Like, seemed to be irresistible. <laughs> beat me to it. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, all three of you, Toe Jam said before about Robert Palmer, player, you just said it, MC said you, I never heard that at all. <laughs> well, I see Prince standing there with his Nikon digital SLR with... Identical looking girls behind him taking photos. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit you like, yeah. Sound wise, it sounds like a slightly faster version of Cream, and I think it has uh, this has hit potential or single release potential. It's structured really nicely. It gets to the point. It doesn't spin off into wacky variants or different directions. It doesn't go into salsa. It, yeah, it doesn't do it. It just sticks to it. It's really, really good. Um, really tight. The horn head accents are a nice touch. It's not overdone. And if Elizabeth Berkeley was the inspiration of this song, then Prince can sit through some old reruns of Saved by the Bell and write tunes like this. That's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, and any other fans in the house of 319? Let's go to maybe Captain. <laughs> uh, I'm sort of on the fence with this one. I mean, it's a good song. It's just, you know, total guitar rock. But why is the track 3.05? Oh, he could have padded it with 14 more seconds from the previous... <laughs> <laughs> that just annoys me every time it comes up. I'm like, 3.05? You got a 14-second phone call just before it. Why didn't you just include it and make the track 3.19? I never understood Well, that. maybe that's the whole point. Oh, he, he did it on purpose to annoy me hmm. at the point. Yeah. There's not much to say about it, really. You just got funky guitar in there. Play, you play a set. It, it is. It's. It's well mixed. It's everything's just in the right place. It's not the strongest song. It's not the strongest chorus. But you know, it does the job. It was a. It was a soundtrack song. You know, it's in the background. You're not meant to listen too too much to it. Don't focus too much on the details. Oh, wow. come on, man. Jeez. <laughs> Going hard on this. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't skip it. It's just like, for me, this is like We March. It's just another album track. It's not a hit. It's not a filler. It's just, it's just there. See, this is one of the ones he didn't play live much either. I think he, he got the, either it didn't work that well live or it just wasn't that strong a track to play live. Hmm. That's, that's my feeling. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, well, now I'm going to take it off you before we hand it over to Toe Jam to close it out because this, yeah, this song does remind me a little bit of Addicted to Love and Cream, but this is pure, typical, vintage Prince updated from the 90s. This is an awesome song. I mean, at three minutes, five seconds, you wouldn't think there'd be that much to say about it, but it is brilliant. I think it's a, it's an awesome track. It's so funky, the funky guitar playing in and out of it continuously. It's so sparse. It's got this really sparse drum beat with some cool chugging guitar chords, this messy sound with a bit of fuzz tone, mashed potato funk grooves thing going on there. Yeah. And these these overloaded and like over-amplified power chords. What are those distorted noises in the background? Does anyone know what they are? Those things that go... Like, what is that? It's just some sort of synth bass thing. It's cool. Yeah. That bit's cool. Yeah. It sounds it, like, it, like a guitar revving up or something. Yeah, it's and it's throughout it, the whole song. Yeah, it gives it the drive throughout the song. Yeah, and the beat, like I said, it's steady and it's cool. And these short horn lines that are so playful, but they're really effective in, in the song. I don't know. I don't know how he how Prince manages to make such a cool song out of so little. Mm. There's like yeah. nothing. There's nothing to this. If the four of us sat around in a studio, and I know the four of us maybe aren't. <laughs> it's not as if we're the best example to use, but I, take take any. Uh, Good musician, for example, or even composer, for argument's sake, or more so composer, and sit them down in the studio and say, okay, you've got this drum beat, Hmm. you can come up with a few verses and a chorus, oh, by the way, yeah, yeah, three chords, Uh, by the way, um, don't use any bass, because in the traditional sense, there's no bass in this song that I can hear. And yeah, put out put out a cool little dance track that people can groove to, bob their head to. You know, it's almost like a kiss for the '90s in a, in a way. Go yeah, go right ahead. I mean, how does he do it? How does he make something so awesome? In my opinion, it's a great track. But even if you think it's half decent, how does he do it with so little? I I, I just don't know. But the, there's some funny stuff here. The sounds of the camera, that <laughs> is just hilarious. They it's crack comic me book up. that bit. It, <laughs> yeah, it is comic book, and I love it. I love every bit of it, and the funniest one for me is when he says because he's got this it goes ching, 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 like he's, you know he's, the, the camera's going off but the one that I love the most is is after the line um, I've, when he sings I've got a good shot and he goes ching, put your leg on the chair I just love <laughs> you gotta go back and listen to the song again because he yeah. like I said he uses that element throughout the song as part of like a motif but then he's got he just puts this one Flash right after that line. <laughs> Pure comedic timing, genius timing there, and um, yeah, my I've got a left to right grin on my face. This is just talent, pure, unabashed, unbridled talent. And you know, is it the greatest song in this genre? No, that he, you know he's done better. But what a track! Come on, Toe Jam. What are your thoughts? Um, I just thought it was funny before when you mentioned it in the the sort of grand songs of this album. Like this is probably one of the uh, when I think of this album, this is not in the top five songs that I think of, but nah. it's it's good for what it is, and I like all the things you've said. I always find the hi-hat is just too loud for me, just this just throughout the whole thing in the left speaker. I just wish I could turn that hi-hat down a bit. It's kind of like mm. the cowbell in Endorphin for some people. Hmm. Um, the second thing I've got written here is Robert Palmer, um, obviously. I can definitely hear Simply Irresistible in there somehow. I think it's in that when it, the chorus goes to the different chord in the chorus, that sort of stays on that note, I can hear it stopping and going, simply irresistible. <laughs> uh, but it never, never happens. <laughs> nice little lyric in there at 116, let your fingers do the walking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bit of a, you know, 
Prince will turn anything, even a, an advert slogan, into sexual innu- innuendo somehow. But, but hold on a second. Uh, I don't want to interrupt your review too much, but the, the, the complete line is when I just want to holler, scream, and shout when you let your fingers do the walking in and out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that takes an entirely new context from when I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah, it's not about looking up phone numbers for that one. Back to Toe Jam. <laughs> I love the bit at one minute forty where just out of nowhere he's like, "Watch this!" and then there's this crazy weird like sound like oh, a yeah. <laughs> Wow, what the hell? Oh, the sound <laughs> of that guitar! Yeah, I love the sound. Yeah, it's of, like it's reversed tone. or something. Yeah, the, the tone, tone of that guitar yeah. sounds so good. It's just like a saw. Yeah, but that's pretty much it. It sort of just plods along. Then it has some nice little chicken scratch towards the end, and but it, like you know, like you said, it's it's a song of not that many elements that manages to pull it off somehow, but it's not really. Super memorable for me. How, how funny are the lyrics? Lock the door and kill the phone. My camera, you and me alone. We'll make a picture. <laughs> or we'll see and go, wow, 319. <laughs> <laughs> you just get this image of the MPG hanging around looking at photos going, oh, that's 319. That's 321. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to agree with MC. He made you know a decent song out of very little. And somehow it pulls it together. Hmm. There's just nothing there. There's a there's a lot of humor in this album, isn't there? With P Control now and and this one now. Hmm. Like there's three sort of blatantly comical kind of songs, which is good. But yeah, I've got to agree, agree with Toe Jam as well. This is this song's probably in the bottom three of the album for me. Wow. Well, I disagree with you guys wholeheartedly. I mean, this is yeah, completely the opposite <laughs> for me. This is a great track. Yeah. Great. This is filthy. This this song is filthy. Yeah, and I'll say this. I'd, I'd agree that it's in the bottom three of the album, but it's still yeah. a good song. So that says a lot about the album, doesn't it? It's, yeah. I mean, there's not a bad track on this album, really. I mean, you can say you could you could say a few songs sound dated, but you know how can they not be? They were I mean, recorded in 1994. They're gonna sound like they're from <laughs> 1994. You can't help that. Th- 319, the song though, it is so. Like, it's just about the, the hottest of hottest of women. Mm. Unless I'm missing something. It's got to be about that. And it's just so overtly about that that I just love it. I think it's also about, you know, the theme. And I'm just thinking, he's just singing about, and he's wearing it, what he's thinking about on his sleeve. You know, he's like saying, she is just a nasty piece of work <laughs> in the best, very best possible way. So, yeah, uh, props to 319. It's always annoyed me that when people say a song sounds dated. I mean, by almost any standard, you know, of co- it is dated. It physically can't be anything but dated because it is. But that's not a bad thing. I, I don't know why that's a bad thing for a song to sound dated. I've got no problem with an album sounding, you know, like the era that it came from. That's a good point. That's half the charm of, you know, half the albums in history. Yeah. Is that they sound like, you know, a, listen to Beach Boys, it sounds like 60s because it is. <laughs> You know, this sounds like mid-90s print because that's what it is. Oh, you make a very good point. I don't see that as a bad thing for something to sound dated. <laughs> no, not at all. But some people think it's awful. You know, some how many people, people hate the 80s because oh, it's the 80s? 80s is the best freaking pop songs ever written. Uh, and let's go to the next track before we start up another debate on this show. So from 319, we go into 319. I wonder if 319 was shy. Certainly not with, with the... Fingers doing the walking in and out, that's for sure, but shy. She was shy, cool dark skin and hot virgin white. Shy, lips ain't warm but her body's ain't might. Toe jam. 
What are your thoughts Ooh. on Shy? The this song? is a very interesting song, isn't it? It's, I don't know, it's quite me. long. It's quite long, five minutes and something, and it doesn't change that much. But I really like the first couple of minutes, actually. The way it starts with the, you know, you hear a faint siren, you hear the footsteps, and uh, you hear the, I think it must be a bass guitar playing that riff, and you think, ah, oh, this is going to be like a really, yeah, you think, ah, oh, this is going to be like a really dark, sort of slow funk number. But then it changes it at 055, and it sort of becomes this really organic, musically becomes this really organic, acoustic, beautiful kind of soundscape. And I think the only thing that I'm not a big fan of is just the sort of story that goes along with it. I much prefer, I love the music of it, all the interplay between all the guitars. There's a few guitars. Uh, I've got 1 minute 14 here for the guitars, actually. It's beautiful little sections. Mm. But I just find that the story kind of is a bit odd and, you know, yep. she's shy, but then she's talking about murdering people. And yep. Exactly. Bit, but then at at 3:23 it kind of reverses and it it turns out that it's just about Prince writing a song about a girl kind of like, it's like this is his you know he like he talks about writing it down or something and it's kind of like he's just sort of writing this story down uh, which is kind of interesting. But musically I think it's brilliant and especially that first 2 minutes. And I just find probably goes on maybe a minute or two too long. Uh, and I don't know if it sustains the interest for me, but those first few minutes are great. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a hard one to review because I love it musically. Not a big fan of the story, uh, and it goes a bit too long. But some awesome guitar work going through. Really organic um, sounds. Okay, okay. Uh, Captain. Oh, I slept on this song for a long time. I skipped it most of the time. And it's only probably the last few years I've really listened to it, and I, I like it a lot more than I did when I first got the album. But I'm about the same as, as Toe Jam. I like the music, but, you know, lyrics I can just... It could have been been instrumental. <laughs> would have been fine. Still would have sounded good. But I love all the guitars. Just all the way through, there's all these different sounds. But yeah, lyrics, I don't know. It's But this is a weird song. For me, this is a weird Prince song. It doesn't really sound like a Prince song. I, I agree does, with does you. Does anyone else get that? I, I, I completely agree with you, yeah. Lyrically, I reckon, yeah. Definitely. Lyrically, it's weird. And music, even the music, it's not your... Similar to pretty much anything he's done before. It was just sort of a, an oddity, this song. And, and the, it lyrics, still is. the lyrics didn't help. It still is an oddity, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. But, uh, but it's okay. But I'm going to put this probably in the bottom three with um, with 319 and maybe We March. Hmm. Wow. It's the lyrics, though. If there were lyrics with like something totally different, not about shooting him pop-pop twice in the head, come on. Yeah, that, that, that lyric especially, that just kind of ruins it almost a, bit, a little bit. Yeah. Next. Player, do you know? Shy. Oh, well, Shy's the perfect breather track between the last track and the next track. It's it's a cool little interlude song. Um, having the beat match the girl walking is nice start to the <laughs> song. And then you've got these funky little guitar riffs on top of the nicely recorded acoustic guitar. That's sort of... Um, I don't know, it's a bit reminiscent of Tangerine. It like sort of comes up later uh, on Rave. It turns it into a nice, folky, funky track. It's very clean sounding. The lyrics are interesting regarding the girl, the guy meets, and I know she says she has no regrets, no sorrow, but to blurt out to someone that, you, that you've just met that you've murdered another person, but they're <laughs> shy, is a, yeah. it's a bit odd to me. So, But it's, it's, it is a weird kind of song. Just on the murdering lyric again, it's interesting listening to it a bit more in depth, I think the idea is that she didn't actually do any murdering. It's just that she's trying to put up this, like, front, you know, front kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah, it's just an odd lyric. Hmm. And I wonder who we could be referring to. That's that's probably an interesting... 
that'd be an interesting answer hmm. to, to the question. Who could, who could it possibly be about? I gotta agree with what Player just said. Just like We March is the breather after the first few songs and then the middle of the album, this is the breather in between the first part of the album and then the big end. After this, you know, it's it only gets better from here. Off we go. All right. Um, so I guess that that leaves me to quickly talk about Shy. Very slight. I think the first thirty seconds, first forty-five seconds with that guitar, it's just complete sly. Personally, that yeah. that guitar, the jingle jangling guitar, the funky stuff happening is just complete sly. There's a riot going on, and um, then you got this acoustic bottleneck sound and some single note picks and dreamy synths and Toe Jam again. I thought this was did your dream song part two, but um, <laughs> it's almost a country song. A country folk song, really, which is why I, I completely agree with what Captain's saying. It's this, like a country folk song with some very mild R&B and urban influences. And really, there's no drums in the track. It's a drumless song, really. There's some percussion, but there's no drums. And outside of the first bit, the first little bit in the song, there's really no bass. So it's a song with no drums and no bass, just some tambourine to just give it the momentum that it needs to plot along. But I will say that the last 60 seconds of this song is impeccable. <laughs> it's just incredible musically. Everything works. It's, it's like liquid gold, pardon the pun. Very beautiful. The story's interesting, but I, don't, I haven't quite figured it out yet. But yeah, the last 60 seconds of Shy is great. And then right at the end, when he wraps it up with that one strum, so simple, so effective, and a great way to end this track before we go into the triple threat the last three tracks on this album. But just quickly, lyrically, things like, um, after a look much louder than words, she said, I passed my initiation. A friend of mine, he got killed, and in in retaliation, I shot the boy Pop twice, twice in the head, which is what you guys talked about. And then it goes, 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 and then, and then she says something like, but you, you know, that you can call me shy. And it follows on with a line that says, the girl was rough, but he called her bluff. So I think Jam and Player, and I think, Captain, you, you guys are all on onto the, the song and onto the point of the song, which is about someone just putting up a front about, you know, they, they've got this image that they're portraying about themselves that really isn't, you know, like it says in the song, yeah. fact or fiction, he wonders. Mm. Yeah, there's um, so much potential there, lyrically. Yeah. Potential. And, it's odd. And I kind of think now that maybe it's more centred around an actual meeting he had with an actual person, and maybe he's interpolated some of the some aspects of a conversation that he might have had. And now, you know, I'm starting to think, one, I'm, and I'm wondering, who could this be? It might yeah. be someone we've never heard of, but could it, could it be? Would it be Poet 99? <laughs> you, oh. never, you never know. It just popped into my head, so I'll just leave it there. And at the top the, of the... The Three Shots song or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And at the top of the page, he wrote Shy, and he's written a song about that. So, um... Maybe that's the first night. Maybe Prince is writing about the first night that he met Poet 19 on the streets of L.A. Just a guess. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we go into the third last track on the album. Are you guys ready for this? I am ready. Hold on to your wigs. <laughs> it's Billy Jack Bitch. Uh, yeah. Captain, I'll let you open this up. This, the first thing I have to say about this song is this is just more proof that he writes his best songs when he's really pissed off at someone. Yep. <laughs> we had that PFU, P-Funk song 
we had this. It's just, you've really got to annoy him, and he'll start writing a good song about you. <laughs> That's all you got to do. When I got this album, this was one of my favorite tracks. It's just great. It's it's as funky as anything. Talk about interplay. There's not one wasted single millisecond on this track. Everything is right where it's supposed to be. Uh, it's just great. As soon as the main vocal stops, then you got the backing vocal, repeats the line, and and uh, you can't not mention MPG horns, the horn heads, which was taken straight from one of their tracks on their album, New Dell In. But oh, that's a funky album too. Get the so, Hornheads album. Are you saying that that horn section was... That's a whole other song. Oh, that's yeah. copied and pasted from another track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the wow. Whole thing's on, um, on their album. Oh, wow. I've never heard that. See, I thought they just played that in the studio live and I was like losing my stuff over it. It's a great song. It's a great album. Okay, okay. They've got songs like Named After Cows, which I think is hilarious. I might have to check that out because... I just um, remember there's some song called Cow Something, <laughs> which I think is just funny because I like cows because I'm an idiot. Um, I, I love the sample from Fishbone. It, it just cracks me up that, you know, Prince is sitting there listening to, like, Bonin in the Boneyard. I just, <laughs> it just makes me laugh when I think about that. Or li- Lion Ass Bitch, which is where the Lion reference is bitch, from. Yeah. 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 But, um, I wonder if that was the Michael B. Sonny T. influence. Could have been... <laughs> But, you know, this track is, if anybody doesn't know, which I don't know if anyone still exists, doesn't know, this song was supposedly written about CJ, what's her name? Cheryl Johnson. Cheryl Johnson, Cheryl Johnson yeah. Minneapolis gossip columnist. Um, who's who, still out there. Still who's doing still the job, out there, I think. still writing stuff about Prince, still, I think, calling him Cymbalina, mm. which I'm sure he doesn't still like. But this is a great song. It's funky. It's yeah, but she's, got- a, she's an idiot. Like, this is clearly a diss to her. <laughs> like it is. But this is clearly a diss to her. And she came back with, oh, Prince wrote a song about me. And it's like, no idiot. <laughs> Get it. It's a diss, you know. Yeah. She's like proud now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously she's maybe not all that smart. Who knows? That's all i got to say. This song's great. This, this is up there in the top three. We talked about the bottom three. This is up in the top three. That's <laughs> All right, I'll take this off you quickly, and before I hand it over to the other guys, um, and and I'll I'll try and keep my review brief, uh, so that everyone's got a lot to talk about. But this is an awesome track. It's a cool fu to CJ, and it's just an awesome song. I want to know what that weird rubbery sound is throughout it. That that is so cool. Who does that? I think it's does that. I think it's um Tommy B. I think it's it's like an or it's um yeah. It's like an organ part or something. Yeah. It's so little. It's so nondescript. It's so minor, and it just gives the song. It propels the song. Yeah, it's this like is, a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I didn't thought of that. Um, this is just the coolest beat, and that really low pitched bass of Sunny T's murmuring throughout the whole track. Get out of here. Get out of here. But then, <laughs> speaking of get out of here, organ. Hello, organ solo. Three forty one. That's just sick. That is just, yeah. He's scrubbing. He wasn't scrubbing the dishes in '92. He's scrubbing the dishes in Billy Jack Bitch. <laughs> that's just sick. That is ridiculous. He just washed the whole kitchen sink. Horns from 433 are ridiculous. I'll leave it to player intelligence to talk about it. But I just have to say, this whole this this whole song is just seriously nasty. It's like greasy grime from the Minnesotan gutter. I can't believe how good this song is. Love that. I can't review this song. And I couldn't take any more notes down. So you guys are lucky. You've got a free-for-all, more or less. 
because my head was bobbing too much when I was listening to this over the last few weeks. I was like, I can't take notes. I can't <laughs> think about this song. This is one of the funkiest songs ever written by anyone. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and how can you not mention again Michael B and Sonny T? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the drum, the drum beat, it's not, you know, it's nothing great, but just, you'd know it's Michael B. He just pounds it to death. It, it does. Even if it's the simplest beat on earth, you just know it's him. It's and just... the bass in this song is great too. Forget about it. I'm lost for words. Toe Jam, take it over. <laughs> yeah, obviously this is the funkiest track on the album. And it's one of the funkiest of the 90s. I love everything about it too. Oh, a few things to say. I'll start with the horn line, being a trumpet player. But that is one of the most kick-ass sections in all of Prince's discography when that horn line comes in. And I can't remember what he says right before it, but he says something like, you know, solo on that or something. Yeah. yeah. And then just this, the funkiest horn line comes in and, ah, it's just funk face moment all over. Love it. Oh, what next? I love the kind of call and response all the way through. You know, he sings the lyric and then he's got this real dark voices that respond yeah. to what he's saying. It's almost like he's got this gang of himself behind him going, yeah, yeah, take that, CJ. Um, <laughs> The little hook throughout it, that bam, 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 very similar to something off like um, George Clinton's Funkadelic, like Knee Deep. I forget what yeah. the song's called. Yeah. yeah. Not just Knee Deep. I've got that in my notes. Yeah. 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 And I love that hook in Knee Deep. And this one's very similar. I love the bit in the middle. It's so dark. This is as, almost as dark as Prince Get. He's, you know, he's, he's talking about how he doesn't like CJ, you know, she's a bitch and all this kind of thing. And then halfway through, he wants to screw her. Like he's going, <laughs> you know, long black shiny rocket ships. We'll fly, you too, the moon. And then the way he says moon, it's just like, you know, like ghosts or something. It's scary. So that's Prince for you. <laughs> also in that horn bit as well, I forgot to say, towards the end of the horn section, when it starts just going off and off and off, you hear the sample, please access another experience. Yeah. Uh, that's just hilarious, that bit. You know, it's like the song's just gone completely off the rails. <laughs> please I access love it. another experience. <laughs> yeah, it was too so funky. It just broke the computer. Funkometer just exactly, popped. Yeah. Off yeah. the Richter scale. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is brilliant. The song. One one more thing I'll say is that the basic groove of the song was then used in Larry Graham's song Utopia. I think it's yeah. Utopia. One of those yeah. one of those Larry Graham songs, which is nowhere near as good. It's watered down version of this. But yeah, this is the funk right here. And when you said that thing about Minneapolis before, you know, the moment you said that, I pictured in my head like completely snowed outside and like you know the MPG are like underground in some basement just recording this song. That's the, the <laughs> image I got. You know, it's so cool. All right, so that that's my take on Billy Jack Bitch. (laughs) Wow. Player. Yeah, cosign everything. This is the funkiest track on this CD and dare I say one of the funkiest of the 90s stuff. It's right up there. And we all know he can turn it out when he has the chip on his shoulder and in this case it's Cheryl C.J. Johnson. And like Toe Jam said, I got this in my notes that it has that funkadelic vibe to it that reminds me of their song, Not Just Knee Deep. Maybe also Atomic Dog sample that's uh, sampled in it. Gives me that vibe as well. The laid-back beat is funky. The synth line is nasty. The organ <laughs> is nice and bubbling under the surface. It's good to see three solos in the song. There's the guitar first, and then there's the organ, and then finally the horn heads just polish it off with their new Dell in composition arranged by Prince into the song. And to round it all up, you have the reoccurring Fishburne Biat sample running all the way through it. It's brilliant. And to sum up the song overall... Just play from 5 minutes 29 to 5 minutes 31. And those words, capital for me. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They are, aren't they? And, you know, now that I know that there's this other album that I haven't... 
I think I've heard it in passing, but I never really realised that this is that they they use the hornheads bits. I really thought that they because Prince calls them out, doesn't he? He says, you know, like pl- play a line on this or play, you know, play yeah. something funky. And I thought I thought they literally came in then, and that if that which is now and I know is not the case, but even then it's just the funkiest song ever. I mean, Billy Jack Bitch is composed. It says composed by the symbols so Prince and Michael B. Nelson. I'm assuming Michael B. Nelson is credited mainly for the the horns, right? For that, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's wild. There's wild horn stuff happening there. I mean, I'm not saying that that we, you know, we're the one stop shop and and um, be all and end all for music criticism because we're definitely not. But I really have never or rarely ever heard many things as tight as these horn heads. They're yeah. just incredible. It's like that, you know, that um promo you did. Prince did in around 99 where he's like, I got the funkiest horn section since Tower of Power and this. And yeah. like, you know, I didn't disagree with them there. I reckon they could be. So. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're out of this world. This is one of those songs where at this point in the review, I have to say, I wish I could just, we could just stop talking so I can go back and listen to this song again because it's just the best. Yeah. Every time <laughs> I hear this song, it, it reminds me of, uh, he was on some show around, it would have been 95 and he did like a medley. He did like 319, Billy Jack Bitch, and something else, and maybe I Hate You. And he came out and he was like in a, he was like wrapped up in something. And then he like, the song started and he like came up out of like this sheet or something. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It was like a medley. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's that, um, that's right. He was wearing it's all black and he had gold MPG on his shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and American when Music Billy Jack was. Bitch started, he yeah. did this cool, the coolest funky dance I've ever seen with his like elbows and his knees all flap it around the place like a chicken or something. It was chicken the funniest greased. thing I've ever seen. And every I cannot hear this song without imagining that dance. It's just the funkiest dance I've seen him do. It's so funny. Whew, okay, so speaking of an extended extended versions and this extended the gold experience review, let's go into the second last track. It's called I Hate You. It's a sad, but I hate you. Player, why don't you start this one off again? Okay, this is another one of those Durong songs that Prince is so good at creating. Carmen Electra is the supposed inspiration. Ricky P. Organ Mm. and production really brings the song out and elevates it to super ballad status. The courtroom scene is very visual and a cool concept in the song to drive the point home. The vocal gymnastics are amazing. Great song, but it has to be said, not as a first single, especially when you have those single edits to condense it down to fit into a radio format. It really takes the impact out of the song. That sort of drives me a bit nuts when I hear those because, you know, when you start editing this song down, it, it really loses its impact. That's it. Okay, okay. Toe Jam? Uh, this is another brilliant song, and um, it's, it's quite similar to Shush in the sort of tempo and tonality. And so I can kind of see why he's put them kind of far apart on the album. And I can never make up my mind which one I like better because they're both just as brilliant. A few things to say about this one. The chord progression sort of, it reminds me of the idea behind like Scandalous. It's just this rolling chord progression that just like a big circle. It just sort of keeps coming back on itself. And I love the way this minor chord progression in the, in the verse and then when it gets to the chorus, and again, it's this juxtaposition. He's saying, I hate you, but the, the chorus is this, this major happy sound. So really good thought process there. Yeah. Michael B., I've got his name 
written down with a big circle. And this was the one I was talking about earlier. You know, at the end of every sort of phrase, there's these like sort of triplet hits, these bump, bump, bump kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like the way he like rolls into them, every time he does it, it's different. You know, the hits are coming, but he'll do this like bump, bump, something like that. It's just, you know, he always plays around with those hits in different ways. The end of every chorus, he goes off on the little fills. Yeah. Every every time. You know, an average drummer would have just, you know, hit them, hit those hits, and that's it sort of thing. Uh, I love the courtroom scene. It's kind of cheesy, but the interplay, the musical interplay in that whole courtroom scene is brilliant. Yeah, oh, yeah. So much stuff happening. And my favorite bit is towards the end of it, there's like these strings. It's obviously like a synth strings, and it's just like this wah, 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 wah. It just adds so much atmosphere to that section. Uh, brilliant. The only thing with that courtroom scene is the, the lyric... I'll have to use the rod. Uh, it's almost like he had to rhyme odd with something and the rod was the first thing that came into his head. And so it sounds a bit silly, that line. The solo at the end is, you know, it sounds like he's, he's lost it, which is kind of what the song's yeah, about. You know, he's he's right. in this mental confusion. You know, does he yeah. love it? Does he hate her? And so the solo is just like, oh, I don't know what's going on kind of thing, but it works really well. And obviously the big conclusion at the end is, you know, he hates her because he loves her, which is a really nice... You know the way it builds to that climax. Um, so this is a brilliant song, equal equal on par with Shush, I think, as mm. one of the standout tracks on the album. Okay, well I agree with you, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But I think I Hate You is better than Shush by a long stretch. This is one of Prince's masterpiece songs, I think, out of his entire over. Um, out of everything he's ever recorded, this is one of just simply one of the best songs he's ever he's ever made. It's great. It's got these exceptional, and they really are exceptional lyrics about heartbreak, the cheating partners, fidelity relationships, the the nice little play on words between you know what hate can mean, and then into you know countering that with with loving someone while also hating them and being. It's I think it's got a lot to do with emotion and with what he's feeling and that comes out in the music it's almost like every line he sings he creates a musical definition or a musical image associated with what he's describing in the song which is very interesting to listen to and i think the courtroom scene does that the best but you know you can read the lyric booklet and i won't read it out but there there are some really just some great very pithy pithy i should say lines I love the line how he says, you gave your body to another in the name of fun. I hope you had some, baby. If not, boo-hoo. That, to me, is brilliant. Yeah. Um, there's there's a few ones, about, a few lines about it within the court session where he, where he says, state your name for the court, never mind. And in the background, they play the sample from <laughs> Billy Jack Beach. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I like that bit. Which is, uh, which is quite funny. And yeah, and, and on and on and on, you really have to hear it. And it just, there's so much change happening within the song thematically and lyrically and musically especially with the synth work i think the synths really and the and the keyboards take it to another place and his vocals and they'll be ricky yeah and they'd be they'd be ricky i think and and um but the rhythm the rhythm tracks don't change up that much obviously michael b gets a bit more aggressive towards the end but this is a masterpiece song, like I said. I find it really interesting that the song's called I Hate You, and it's like a slow jam silent storm about heartbreak, and um, he opens the song by breaking it down. Like He breaks down the beat as the intro to the song, which I find very interesting. I don't think I've heard any of his other music do that. I could be wrong. 
Michael B and Sunny T are so into the pocket. They are so tight into the groove on this that it is ridiculous. The electronic keyboard embellishments give it a really serious tone, but also give it some sheen and some gloss and, and an element of class. Like, I really visualize that courtroom drama scene so vividly. Probably some of the most impassioned, best vocals in his entire career. And going back to that courtroom drama scene, it's it's masterful. I defy anyone to have written and composed a better middle section in this song than he has. It's incredible. The, like I said, the music accompanies and explains the lyrical imagery incredibly well. And Sonny T on the bass from 440 is just pure sonic bliss. Yeah, he starts like slapping towards the end when yeah, he yeah. building up. That's yeah. great. Just... Oh man, it's so soulful. Actually, just on that um courtroom scene again. Sorry, you guys have been oh you know the dream section. To me, this that's the dream section of the album. That, <laughs> that middle section, you know, he's like he's like torn. He's like asleep, and he's he's running this courtroom drama through his yeah, head. His head yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so there is a dream. <laughs> there is a toe jam dream moment on here. There's a few, and the vocal harmonies. I mean, come on, one man band, give it up for this guy. He's ridiculous. We all know it, but again, the, the way he builds this song vocally as well is incredible. You know, he, he plays a lot with the tone and texture of his voice. And then towards the end, his voice climaxes and that guitar solo also comes in. And it's just literally, I hate to, maybe I don't hate to use the word, but I can't think of any other word other than climax or eruption. I mean, get out of here. It's just all <laughs> over with that 15-second guitar solo. I mean, it's a 15-second guitar solo. Yeah. The timing. Yeah. And that every wrist, note in that solo is dead on. Yeah, and it sounds like his guitar is like shattering to pieces as he's playing it. There's all this mm. distortion and stuff. You could just you could just imagine him losing his stuff. It's like every single amount of energy he has left, he's put into that guitar solo. One of the most powerful guitar parts I think he's ever recorded in one of the most powerful songs he's ever recorded. And it's all over, and wow, you know, choir of voices, a choir of sound, and a, and a brilliant guitar solo to end this mammoth song, just around the six-minute mark. Whew, after that review, Captain. Excluding the most beautiful girl in the world, this was the first single. Yes. And, you know, still on the high from, you know, that big ballad doing so well, he's like, let's try it again, and try this with a single, and... He did a maxi single, which had oh, a couple yeah. different versions of this, mm. and I think there was one of them had like a, a different, like extended scene or something. Then there was like a quiet night mix, like Eric Leeds doing Leeds, solo yeah. for the whole song, which is nice too. But, I wonder if he um, put it out there deliberately as kind of the opposite to you know he's got the most beautiful girl in the world, and then a year later he releases I hate you. It's, I hate you. Yeah, really interesting. Maybe so maybe that was the idea behind it, but it didn't really work commercially. The message for Warners. Exactly. I was just about to say that. He was saying, yeah, this is this is for them. <laughs> so I like the court stuff. You know, he must have been watching Law and Order or something. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can stick that in the song. Why not? This is a ballad. I don't particularly like ballads, but I've got to agree. This is probably in the top ten. It's a damn good song. It's just such a good idea that I hate you versus I love you. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it can be exactly the same thing. That's right. And it's just it's a good concept, and he, he pulled it off. MC's talking about climaxes. He pulled it off, you know. Make your own joke there. <laughs> Great bass work by Sonny. Love the drum, the drums. The, again, I, every single song I'm going to say, Sonny and Michael. It's just unbelievable. You've already said this as well, the guitar solo. It's the perfect length. It's just everything's in the right place for 15 seconds. And you've got to love the last note as well. It's just like, you know, never take the place of your man. The last note, just it's just up there. It's out there. And it's great. 
I guess it's a great song. Whew. Wow, what a review. Um, and that leads us into our conclusion, our final track, the end point of the Gold Experience album. And it is, of course, track number 18, Gold. Even at the center of the fire, there is cold. All that ain't gold. round this one up and talk about the single the second and final single the second and final single of the album and a song that Prince has recently played in 2011 a couple times I think in Europe opened up a few shows with this but anyway I digress Gold the song Gold Experience the album take it away Captain this actually did okay in Australia it, I don't know how high it got in the charts but I remember seeing the video a fair few times on like yeah. video hits on a Saturday morning they, and I really like the video. They got steady airplay for a while, but I, I, just, I love this song. It, it just sounds huge. I could mention overproduction, but on this song, it, it's fine. It's just such a good song. And I remember around that time, in some interview, Prince basically said, you know, don't quote me, but something like, you know, this is going to be the next Purple Rain. Words to that effect. I just love the fact that this point in his career, like 994, 495 he had you know that much belief in this song and his work at that time that he would say something like this is the next purple rain and that's something that he doesn't have now he doesn't have that the last few albums you know he's played like what one song off an album yet he does the gold experience tour plays pretty much the whole album and nothing else a couple of covers it's just um anyway that's a whole nother thing to talk about later I love the acoustic guitar. Kicks in at the first chorus and then goes through the whole track. It just sounds nice. It's an amazing song. Amazing guitar solo with Tommy Barbarella at the same time. It's great. I remember in the video. That was good. Again, he pulled this out 2011 as well. Played it at some shows. And he did my favorite. Not my favorite. One of my most hated things that he does. The, the, I think it's the second verse. He starts off with, with there's an ocean. And what do you get? You get an ocean sound. <laughs> Come on. Did he Come say on. ocean? Oh, he, he did. He must have said ocean. Oh, yeah, he must have said ocean. I just heard the wave effect. But, you know, he it's, did that. It's the dolphin being reincarnated. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, he did that. But that's, that's okay. This song's good enough to... I can ignore that. I love the falsetto backing vocals in the third verse. I have a good listen to the drumming in the bridge. Like, before the chorus, there's some great big like tom thumps by michael b and they're a bit buried but they're there and they're good there's a tiny little piano tinkle at 508 just before the big solo i like that and i noticed a few string samples in this as well it's most noticeable at about 612 it's only for like two or three seconds Mm, i was gonna say that claire fisher anyone exactly I, i i don't know if it's in the the credits or anything but there's some string samples in there this song's great that's all i've got to say Okay, okay. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on Gold, the song? It's a big, big epic song, and I think he's clearly trying to follow the, the template of Purple Rain, almost to the point where it's a little bit too obvious, I think, where he's, it's that it's really Purple Rain 2, essentially. My favourite bit of the song is just the, the na-na-na-na-na parts. I think the vocal, those vocals are really good. It kind of reminds me of, of Seven, the big chorus in Seven. You know, really big, thick harmonies and... You know, making himself sound like a full chorus. Uh, so that's I like that. It's got all the the things you'd expect. It's got the big guitar solo with the synth doubling it. Uh, yeah, I don't want to pay it out, but it's just a little bit too simple for for me to say it's a brilliant, brilliant track. 
but it is it is very good and um, it does okay. work as an album closer. It's 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 just a, a little bit kind of a bit see through in that you know it's like he's trying to work a template kind of thing. I don't know, and I wonder if I'd hear that if I you know if there was no such thing as Purple Rain. Look at the chords of Purple Rain. There, you got four maybe five chords. It's pretty different that musically. Like the chords he's playing, there's some weird stuff in this. I don't know. The chord progression is pretty standard. The actual um, chords, there's some weird stuff. I like the ending, the way it's just sort of this big close of an ending. There's all this reverb and then the, the na-na-na-na-na chants just keep going on and on and they just sort of fade out. Yeah, that, that's gold for me. It's, it's the big epic song. It, it kind of it does its job. And it, it's good. Okay. Player, what are your thoughts on gold, the track that finishes the gold experience? I've pretty much got what everyone else has had. This is, you know, the get your lighters up in the air. It's the anthem. It's right up there with Purple Rain. I'm so glad that this has made a reappearance back into the set list of the 2011 tour dates. It's just uplifting and anthemic and sing-along, and it builds and builds right to the end. And I don't know, I guess to someone up in a word, it's it's gold. Yeah. Okay. Well, I man, this song for me, from the minute that church-sounding organ and synth-key motif comes in. I am in love with this song. I was in love with it from the first time I heard it, and I love it even more now. I love everything about it. I love the lyrics. I love what he's talking about. That first organ, the first note, it's just so, like, grand, isn't it? Yeah. It's, That's the it's word incredible. I was thinking of. It's just mm. huge. It's oh. Yeah, I get chills up my spine when it comes in. Again, seem to use the word incredible a lot, but it is, it is amazing. I love his singing his voice on this it's similar to endorphin machine in quality in the sense that i just think he's really wearing it on his sleeve you know and he's and he's singing passionately he's so impassioned about what he's singing about it's just genuine unrestrained free and he's hungry he's out to prove something i don't get the sense that this is transparent at all i don't think that he's trying to beat his own template of purple rain i think that he just recorded a song and it ended up being as grand as purple rain and in my opinion grander i think this is a better song than purple rain i think compositionally and from an arrangement point of view it whips purple rain sideways and I think I it's a shame think that... I might have to agree with you. I mean, I... I never d- thought I'd say that, but Purple Rain's a pretty basic song. It is yeah. a classic, but it's pretty basic. Compared to Purple Rain, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, and, and I mean, complicated music, or... I don't, know, I don't know that I'd say this is complicated, but potentially more complex music doesn't... Be- it's more layered. It's a lot more layered. There's yeah. a lot more going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that you're right. There's, there's a lot more happening here and... That doesn't automatically mean that that creates a better sound or better music. But in my opinion, I get more out of this. I think he's re- he he was panning for gold and he really came up with it here. And Purple Rain's a great song. You know, at the end of the day, it's not important what's better or what's worse. But I think this is more a more accomplished attempt at a big, massive, powerful and song. Yeah, yeah, I really do. He's I think to... Um, that to me that's the difference. Is this one's clearly more polished and it's more mature. But mm. if anything, I kind of miss that sort of naiveness of Purple Rain. I guess maybe that, I don't know. Maybe it's because you know I guess Purple Rain kind of hit me first before this one. So then this one's always going to be trying to live up to Purple Rain. So, but I guess if you heard them the other way around, it'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, I wonder what people in that position would hear, would think of yeah. Purple Rain. But you know, ten years after Purple Rain, speaking of Purple Rain, he does it again. You know, this was made in '94, a decade later and and i think it's just better it's more accomplished the guitar solo or one of the guitar solos actually starts at 356 just before the minute mark and i just wonder if it's one of the longest guitar solos ever on on record the part i'm talking about it kind of tapers off 
with about a minute to go and then another solo comes in when he counts it down but if you put those two together that's a heck of a lot of guitar playing in this track and I just think that the vocals, the rhythm, the whole band performance as well, everything is incendiary. It's incredible, and the explosion of sound at the end is just phenomenal. And I I think it's such a positive, awe-inspiring song on all levels, and it caps off this album so brilliantly. Player said it, the best way to describe it is that it's gold, and I just think the best way to describe the song and this album is is exactly that. It's gold. It's a piece of gold. Um, and it sold enough copies, it, it was certified gold. <laughs> there you go. So, so don't buy any more, otherwise it'll be platinum or something. And then, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, there you go, rounding out the gold experience. We've finally done it. We've crossed that bridge. How does everyone feel? Yay. <laughs> I feel like I feel when I've listened to that whole album, I just feel like I went on this some journey. sort of journey. Mm. I feel like that now we've gone through the whole thing and now we're like, wow, we're at the end of it. Mm. That's how I feel. And your score, Captain? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, let's see. I think I'm going to have to say nine. Ooh. I really like this album. Yeah, you love this era. Because it's, it's my favorite band. It's one of my favorite albums. I mean, I got into Prince 92. This was really like my third album. I had, I had Diamonds and Pearls. Actually, I came in just after Diamonds and Pearls. Symbol album was really my first album. And then you had, you know, you had the hits. But then you had Come and Gold. Uh, nine. 9.2. <laughs> wow. Huge score from the captain. Toe Favorite, jam. Favorite Toe. album. <laughs> I'll just say, before I go to my score, I think this, sound, this album sounds really good. I don't know if it's the mastering. I think it might be the mastering. Yeah. I the whole thing, it sounds crystal clear all the way through. I think it's one of his best sounding albums mm. uh, in terms of the mas- mixing and mastering, I think. And I'll also say, coming into this one, because I hadn't listened to it for a while, and I sort of had this memory of, yeah, it's a good album, but it's a little bit overproduced. And listening to it today, and I was surprised it wasn't as overproduced as I had it in my head. There's a few moments where I thought it did, but generally it wasn't as bad as the sort of myth of the gold experience. Oh, it's overproduced, some people think. Captain? Me. <laughs> Actually, um, I might drop that 9. We just gave it a 9.2. <laughs> just looking through the songs, Endorphin Machine, Shush, Billy Jack Bitch, I Hate You. I mean, those four songs alone are worth make the attention price. Yeah, that, that, those four songs are, are within the top four songs of the 90s, if not his whole career, I think. Like, you know, they're up there in the great Prince songs. You know, most albums will have one, two, maybe three of those songs, but this one has four of them, so it's tough to rate this... <laughs> How am I get, you know, peer control's good, I don't mind it. We march is a little bit weak. Dolphin's good. I like Dolphin, I like now. So everything I like everything on the album really. So I'm I'm thinking I, I think I gave Lotus Flower I gave Lotus Flower a nine, didn't I? I think I, I did. Think so. Eight and a half or nine. I think I'm gonna have to if I gave Lotus Flower a nine, I think I'm gonna have to do the same for this one. Whoa. It's yeah, I'm, it's an eight and a half or a nine because I think it's probably album. my fourth favorite album. It's probably my fourth favorite of his albums, but that, that's pretty high when he's considering he's done thirty something albums. So, <laughs> see now that if you're right and you gave Lotus Flower a nine and you give this a nine, now you're going to get like people on the org saying, yeah. "Jam thinks these two albums are exactly the same quality." <laughs> well, to be honest, I, to be honest, I, I probably would. I'd probably say they're pretty equal. They're, they're, they're pretty close. Yeah, Lotus Flowers, if anything, is a bit less overproduced. So that's the good thing that that one has over this one. But anyway. they're, they're both crystal clear sounding albums. Yeah. Anyway, I'll go with a nine. That sounds good enough for now. I'll probably tomorrow I'll think, ah, oh, it was probably too high. But I'll stick with a nine now. 
I'm going to stick with my 9.2, even considering slight overproduction. The songs make up for any woodblocks and anything else. <laughs> so it's a 9. Yeah. 9.29. Player. 999. Okay, this is a fantastic record as a whole. It's really well crafted and mastered. The production is really full sounding and mixed impeccably. For me, it's the Purple Rain of the 90s. It strikes that perfect balance of being a fan favorite but commercial enough to be a hit record potentially. And there's very little to no filler on the album. I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10. Wow! What, <laughs> what stops me giving it a 10 out of 10 is knowing some of the songs he had from this era that could have been on this CD and didn't make it. <laughs> Days of Wild being one, Interactive being another. That was the one I was thinking of. Which would have totally fit in terms of sound and having the MPG operator in the song. It wouldn't have been out of place. Okay. Coupled with Warner stalling it, you know, the release for a couple of years lost a bit of impact. So, But it easily ranks the highest of all the 90s releases. This one, like, really stands out for me. So, Before we get to MC, because I know he's got probably a bit to say about it at the end. At the end. Not really. You know, <laughs> you know, we don't want to get into too much speculation, but can you imagine if there was no dispute, no name change, and then, you know, this was the album that followed Symbol, essentially? Oh, and. And Tim like, and Warners were still in bed together, and yeah, they really it, got behind it. It makes you it wonder. Promoted yeah. It. Full yeah. promotion, full yeah. promotion. It makes, it makes you wonder if the whole kind of you know the dark period of the nineties is it's often referred to. Whether that would have actually because the album's strong enough. It's it's just a shame it was released so late. It's hard to say, you know, why like in that era, like it was still on the tail end or the back of grunge and stuff, and that yeah. was really like the dominant sound at the time, which this is like a rock album, but it's not grunge. So I don't know how well received it would have been in yeah. like the mainstream and stuff, but you know, it's, it's such a solid album. Like it just makes you wonder what, what it could have done with the right sort of promotion and backing. What could have been with the right single selected and actually been commercially available to buy, not just a video on VH1. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing about this. It's like, this amazing finished product, really. It's um, bur- buried treasure. Yeah, and I can't believe we're talking about a buried treasure album when it's pretty much, aside from Diamonds and Pearls and Symbol in the early 90s, the biggest album he's released, I think, since then. Arguably musicology, but it's a shame, isn't it? Um, Think about if this album came out, say, two months after The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. This album would have sold three or four times as much as it did, just on the strength of that song. You know what? I think you're completely right. And and imagine all those people discovering all the other stuff on here. This could have been a Grammy album of the year. Nominee. This could have been, yeah, his biggest album of the 90s. Easy. Hmm. If, if it all went, you know, to plan. But as we know, nothing ever goes to plan. The look, original, at Eman- look, the- look at Emancipation. That was the biggest bomb of a plan that ever existed. It just Some things just don't work for him, no matter how much he wants them to. Because, you know, it's not always his fault. It can be many other factors... Things just don't happen for him sometimes, which I'm sure must frustrate him a lot. <laughs> but the funniest thing that I, I read somewhere, I don't know if it's true. This is just what I saw somewhere. Warner Brothers claimed the release of the Gold Experience had been rescheduled twice because Prince failed to deliver the master tapes on time. That really doesn't surprise me if it's true. <laughs> it really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's like this big, that whole thing, I can never work out whose side I'm on because it's just this big game of, oh, we want to yeah, release an album, then the other company doesn't. He then, said this. Oh, yeah. we want to release an album, and then the other party doesn't. And it's like, come on, get it together. Yeah. The main story was Prince wanted Come to come out under Prince's name and Gold to come out under Symbol's name. He wanted them to be released at the same time yeah. and be judged on, you know, which one the public thinks better, which is an interesting idea. 
but I don't think it would have worked anyway. Yeah, and probably much more complicated than we really understand. <laughs> and I can one as idea, you know, that's oversaturation. You know, two albums out at the same time mm. by the same person under different names. I just I don't know if it would have worked, but it was a good, you know, a good concept. But I don't know. Okay, well. Finishing with with my score, you know, I have to have a very good think about this. It is my favourite album of the 90s, without a doubt. And really, in general, I think it's one of my favourite Prince albums of all time. doesn't put a foot wrong. Even some of the weaker tracks have a lot of redeeming qualities. The sound is so good. The compositions are good. The arrangements are good. The singing, the playing, the band, the MPG, the horn heads, the lyrics, the themes, the context of the album, the part that every one of those factors had to play in creating this complete package called the gold experience really makes it an amazing project that like we just said it's unfortunate didn't get wider distribution wider release and wider appreciation and now it's out of print you can't even buy it if you want it yeah exactly and i'm trying to track down a vinyl copy if i can can get my hands Mm. on one but from a scoring point of view, I have to go with, and I can't, I like Toe Jam, I can't remember whether, what I gave Lotus Flower now, but I would have to give this album more than Lotus Flower, and I'm going to have to go with 9.5. Wow. Because, you know, I was thinking 9, I'm thinking, yeah, solid. that's a solid score and that's what I'm feeling, but if I gave Lotus Flower a 9, which I think I might have, this has got to be a half a half a mark above that just for endorphin machine shush dolphin billy jack bitch i hate you and gold even just on those tracks alone just classic material he panned for gold and he got it the gold experience let's get a final copy happening <laughs> you said this is your favorite album of the 90s yeah i think i'm i'm almost there it's for me it's i think it's a tie between this and the the symbol album yeah i love them both yeah, it's so nice. much pretty cool pretty one close thing. I think what differentiates this album from, say, The Symbol or Diamonds and Pearls, its essential predecessors, uh, is the lack of the rappers, basically. Hmm. And that, that's yeah. no offense to them, but like... They, it makes a difference. It really it does. It makes a yeah. huge difference. There's, there's yeah. no moment in this album where you're like, oh, it's pandering to the rap market. Mm. Yeah. Whether or not he actually was or not back then, I guess, you know, but you always had that question mark. But, you know, he removed that from the sound, and, and I think the sound just improved so much without, you know, Tony M, essentially, with it. Without being rude to him, <laughs> but oh, not just Tony M, but that whole sort of gangster rap mentality—it's kind of he's—he's—he's he's, he's left that behind. He sort of came back to it a few times since, but this album was like, no, no, this is a rock album. The thing that is sad for me about this album is not much, but just this one point is this was the end of the 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 badass prints of the 93 to 95 this album was it after that it was on to emancipation you know married uh, and that was that was the end that was the end the swearing stopped just not long after that and then no more needs to be said i hinted at this before but one of the best things i like about this album was his belief you know in the work i think which has been missing from the last few albums you know he toured on this album a year before it was released he just did a whole tour playing this album pretty much through and no no prince hits a couple of covers you know where's that guy gone <laughs> where's that guy gone who had the balls to do that everything must change captain i know but come on i mean it's very likely the gold experience tour didn't make a lot of money as you know nowhere near as much as a hits tour would have done and i think that might be where he sort of lost you know where's the line between the battle between art and money 
you know, now money wins. He'll do a hits tour. He's never going to tour an album that no one's heard. He's never going to do that again. Well, I hope he does, but it's not going to happen. Now it seems like the art is nothing if it doesn't make enough money. You go out and you do the hits because that's what's going to put the money in the bank. That's uh, that's that's I what think, I think. I think I think the patrons have a certain expectation too. Like if they go into a Prince show, they kind of expect to hear Prince songs or like well-known songs. So and those people did have a good whinge in the UK on the Gold Experience too. Mm, yeah. But where's that guy gone? I want that guy. I know he's gone, but <laughs> that's the sad part for me. Isn't I'd be happy if he just did a tour of like half album tracks and half hits. It's a yeah. good balance. But you know, look at the last three, four albums. He plays like one or two songs, if that, and it's all hits. You know, where's the belief in your current work enough to play it live? That's that's my problem now. That's Captain's final thought. Uh, outro yeah. and fade out. Yeah, let's, right. let's, let's, let's get, get it. Get, Shout get, out. Shout out to Reverend for the awesome artwork. We've got to send oh, it yeah. to Reverend. Mm, most definitely. And Toe Jam, you've got some tour dates. Yeah. Keep an eye out for Cheap Fakes, my band. We're sort of promoting our new album, cool. uh, Hand Me Downs. Hand Me Downs. Check out the website, cheapfakes.com.au or Facebook and all that. Uh, we're going down to Melbourne, Sydney at some point, all up and down the East Coast pretty much. Might get to Adelaide at some point. Might get to Perth at some point. But uh, yeah, keep an ear out. Oh, I have a massive shout out to Love to the Nines, who somehow I managed to forget to do a shout out to in our Christmas episode. So hello to you. Listen to me. <laughs> no uh, shout out to you, MC. If anyone's got any um, sealed copies of the Gold Experience on vinyl, please send me a message. <laughs> and that's it. 